This whole country just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? Yeah. It's, a, it's a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. Hate and ego have no place residing in what my good friend Lane Hansen calls the chapel of democracy. There is no weapon as powerful as that of an idea whose time has come. A woman will serve in the highest level of the executive. Simple as that. Welcome to Decades Podcast, a podcast where we watch a movie from a previous decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this episode, we're still in the '60s, and one from a more modern time. Uh, this this episode, we watched a movie from 2000, exactly. Mm-hmm. The groovy '60s. <laughs> <laughs> the groovy '60s. We watched Advise and Consent. Very groovy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we watched The Contender, and they, both these movies are about. Um, Presidential nominees being confirmed. Or not. Or not. <laughs> yeah, right. And all the various crimes related. <laughs> all the crimes and uh, finagling and, yeah, whatnot that happens to get somebody nominated. Not nominated, but um, confirmed. What's the body count on all the confirmation hearings right now <laughs> for, oh. for this year? And have Not they, as many as there should be. Right. Yeah. One per, them. right? And some of them are gone and replaced, sure. Yeah, it's going to really rack up a, a big body count doing this. <laughs> All right, so we're probably going to synopsize. We will synopsize. Let me be con- uh, affirmative. Mm-hmm. Um, the Advise and Consent first. Sure. Directed by Otto Preminger. Yeah. Starring, I don't know who stars in this movie. Charles Lawton actually seemed to be the star. He played uh, Seed Cooley. He uh, seemed to have the most presence. Him and that other guy. Uh, the guy being confirmed... Um, not him. Le- uh, Leffington? Longfellow. Long Longman. Something with an L. I think it's Leffington, uh, played by Peter Fonda. Jane yeah. Fonda's dad. The other oh. guy, the guy who had the blackmail, he had a big part of this movie. He did, and I can't remember that actor's name. Uh, he played the senator from Utah, uh, Brigham. Brigham, Brig. yeah. All right. So Brig and Seed. Let's, let's go. Okay, what's uh, that movie about? Uh, it starts with a bunch of senators running around, more senators than you can possibly keep track of. For, definitely. Uh, <laughs> that is true. The president puts up for nomination Senator Leffington. I don't know what state he's from, but he is very controversial. The president's going to die. Oh, yes. And also, well, they don't, you don't know that from the beginning. Yeah, but you find out. They mention right. that Pretty he quickly. has been ill. So the you, you find out that the president's ill at the beginning or he was ill yeah uh, but people are concerned that they haven't like the vice president's concerned that he hasn't seen the president in weeks and they're concerned they haven't had they don't have a secretary of state Can right. I explain why they don't have a secretary of state they did not and he's definitely not at the beginning of his term right yeah no uh also he wants to make a confirmation that is he didn't say it was his legacy that was the other movie uh, just, or did he it was something along think, the same lines yeah, yeah some yeah. sort of like cementing his sort of he explains oh, yeah, later yeah. his reasoning for it, which is like, I need somebody who will do all the stuff I've started. Right. And also, uh, there's the threat of war with uh, the, the USSR. Yeah, the communists. Which still exists <laughs> in 1962. Um, and right now. <laughs> no, not the USSR. It does not exist. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Just one part of it. 
Russia exists. <laughs> You're right. All of it still exists, but it's broken apart <laughs> into separate countries now. You're right. Okay, and that's And they true. are not communists. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's all true. So anyway, he, uh, the president nominates Leffington. Leffington seems to be okay with that yeah. initially. Um, the guy who is not okay with it is Senator Seabright from South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Uh, played Seed. by Charles Lawton. A, a little round man with a little hat and a little tie. Yes, and this was his last movie. He was an old man, too. He's actually... I thought that actor was great. Yeah. He uh, played the captain in... I want to say the... Kane, not the Kane Mutiny. Mutiny on the Bounty, which mm. is an old classic movie. Uh, Charles Lawton was a very well-known actor. He played, in this movie, that comical stereotype of, I'm just from South Carolina, <laughs> and I'm going to respect the wishes of the president. <laughs> or whatever. Or not. Or he, not. He was totally against Leffington. For, and his argument, which he makes early on, is that he makes a very patriotic speech about, I don't know, values, I guess. Leffington counters it with a speech in which he talks about the need to to avoid war by diplomacy by yeah diplomacy by giving Ew. by by give and take yeah. uh, which C Wright does not like no he thinks it's all acquiescence and appeasement, appeasement with the communists yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of it's a very slow movie it's very slow paced especially by today's standards over 2 hours long it is 2 hours and 18 minutes long and most of that is senators you know just goofing around senators being senators yeah being senators to uh, try to no. convince people to vote one way or another or uh you know do what do what i want or what have you so they can have enough votes to confirm this guy or enough votes to not confirm the guy and except all... one time <laughs> then something else happens <laughs> they're all extremely passive aggressive with one another as well and they're sort mm-hmm. of you know fake formality way of talking to each other yeah yeah and so at the beginning of the confirmation hearings uh seabright after they've done like the first they like did the first half they went to lunch they come back after lunch uh brigham who is the chairman of the committee uh he a, a, a younger man he's probably in his early 40s mm-hmm. uh he is going to you know he says well i guess we're done for the day because we're not going to do any more testimony and seabright says no, I think I'm not going to grill this guy anymore. I'm not going to grill Leffington anymore, but I'm going to call in a witness. Mm. And so a witness comes in, played by Burgess Meredith, um, who you might know if you know the old Batman show. He played the Penguin. Yeah. A lot of, you know, he did a lot of things. That was one of the things he did. <laughs> That's one um, thing I know him from. So he comes in. He's a witness. He, the 60s Batman show. Let's, yes. Let me clarify. Adam yeah. West Batman. Adam West. He testifies that uh, he took a college course from Leffington he somehow got involved in some communist group that Leffington was a member of. Mm-hmm. And then he quit the group and Leffington failed him from the class. And then later when he worked for Leffington in the Department of Energy, I think. Was it the Department of Energy? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. N- n- no, it was... It wasn't the Treasury because that was No, that's guy. where he got the job. It was something similar to Department of Energy. So right? let's just say the Department of Energy. Probably <laughs> So he works under Leffington at the Department of Energy uh, and is fired. He says he was fired because he left the Communist Party group 
when he mm-hmm. found out they were communists and Leffington didn't want him to know it, but didn't want him around to I let think the it's cat funny out of the bag. The way you described that. <laughs> Discover the Communist Party was communist. <laughs> oh no. Well that's kind of what he said. That is kind of what he said. <laughs> he said I was in this group and then I found out they were communists and I quit. <laughs> I thought it was just a cool party place. <laughs> um so he he says he was fired by Leffington because he left the Communist Party group and Leffington was afraid that he would talk. Mm-hmm. Then there is a recess. Uh, Brigham allows Leffington to take an hour to prepare his response. Yeah, Sieb doesn't like it. Sieb doesn't like it. He wants him to respond right away. Leffington goes off and talks to his friend who, uh, during the witness's testimony, he testified that there were three people in the group, one of whom had died. One was Leffington and mm-hmm. one was Morton. someone by the name, oh yeah, somebody Morton. These were all uh, false names. They weren't their real names. And nobody knew who Jeff Morton or who, whatever his first name was, who that person was. No one had, he wasn't able to identify the third person. Well, in the break, Levington goes off and talks to the senator, I don't know, his friend in the Treasury Department, who is the guy who was Morton in the communist group. Uh, also, I forgot an important thing. Levington <laughs> did tell the, told the committee, the Senate committee, that he was not a communist and it was not in a communist group. Yeah. Which was a lie, we find out, because he talks to Morton and they were in a communist group together briefly and then they decided they didn't like it and they quit. Yeah. So he talks to Morton. Morton says, you need to take this guy down. You can do it. It's easy. He goes to the Senate committee and he asks, oh, he brings another person forward who was in the Department of Energy or whatever department it was. <laughs> <laughs> the DO. Uh-huh. That, worked for, that worked for him there. And he also has the Burgess Meredith character come back. Yeah. And they sit by beside each other and he questions them. He, the Burgess Meredith character, he asks him, you know, weren't you sick for a while? And then you came back to work for me. And the guy says, well, I went, I had tuberculosis and I went to a sanitarium. Then he talks to the other guy who had worked in his department, and he says, is that really what happened? And he says, no, he had a mental breakdown. He did go to a sanitarium for his mental health in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, not in Boston, in Baltimore. Baltimore. And then he came back, and his work was not really, he really wasn't all back together again, and so I wanted to fire him. And you, Leffington, told me, don't fire him. Let me see if I can get him a job somewhere else. He does fire him, but he immediately gets a job at the Department of Treasury, which is where his where Leffington's former co-communist group <laughs> uh, member now works. He so anyway he he shreds the guy's the witness's testimony basically. Yeah. He says I you know this is all a lie. He was never in any of my classes. He's crazy. He's yeah, a crazy man. He's crazy. Sorry about that. So. Um, now I'm drawing a blank as to what happens immediately after. So that. then Sieb contacts the guy from Department of Treasury, and he sort of has figured out that the after viewing the employment records that the only reason that he would have been offered a job at the Department of Treasury instead of just going into some generic civil service department was this guy probably knew uh, Leffington and probably owed him a favor, maybe because dun 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 he's the missing communist yeah. and sort of blackmails him into confessing this to Brig on the committee so that Brig will have this information and begin to question the validity of the testimony. And Leffington goes and sits down with the president and says, hey, I lied. I should withdraw my nomination. And the president says, no, don't. 
And I, then, if I understood that correctly. Yes. Right. And Brig goes to the senators. I don't think the president's there, but he goes and tells them, I got this information. We need to stop. We, we can't have Leffington yeah. as our secretary Ooh, of state. Communist. And they're like, no, no, no. We want him. The president gives a very definitive says, yes, he is going to be my nominee and I'm not going to stop yeah. supporting him. And then I, I think it is, it is at that point he starts getting, <laughs> that's, when he starts yeah, getting that's when the blackmail black plot and it's all about Brig for like half an hour. <laughs> right. So this is, th- that's all takes like an hour and 15 minutes to happen. Yeah. The movie, this... And then you put the movie on pause and open another movie. <laughs> <laughs> so um, actually uh, Brigham doesn't start getting phone calls. His wife starts getting phone mm-hmm. calls. She gets phone calls from some guy saying, tell your husband, we know his secret from Hawaii. And if he doesn't, let the vote go forward. The confirmation hearings go forward. Uh, we're going to reveal his secret. Mm-hmm. And so the wife, you know, says, what's this all about? And he says, don't take those phone calls. Those are just crazy people. I've been in the public eye a lot lately because of these confirmation hearings. Don't it's take nothing. those phone, it's nothing. phone calls. <laughs> I'm not protesting too much. Yeah. <laughs> and his wife says, okay, honey, that <laughs> sounds good. She does the first time. Um, at some point, she takes one of the phone calls. And they tell her again yeah. that watch uh, out they said we've paid off ray oh right they, yeah. they give the name of whoever is the source of the information and then there's that scene in the cafeteria where all the senators yeah. are at different tables eating lunch which was a little confusing to me what i find that more on. confusing in retrospect because <laughs> now that i know what happened i'm like huh who are those guys so they're they're brigham is eating lunch with i think the whip Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And at another table are some other senators. <laughs> part of the, what makes it so confusing is all these senators are from the same party. Yes. They never say which party it is, but they're, this is completely infighting. You only yeah. ever see the minority leader. You see him a couple of times. He And I don't even know why we see him at all. He's played by Will Gear, which I'm going to talk about later. I but, assume they're meant to be Republicans just because Sieb is from South Carolina. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> but that, they don't and, ever... And, no, and Brigham is from Utah, yeah. Yeah, like, but that's the only that's the, the only defining. Yeah. They don't even talk about policy or anything aside from communism. Well, but what's weird is the whole appeasement scare communism guy who's being nominated for Secretary of State doesn't seem like... A Republican nominee. Yeah, that the whole like, ah, you went to college with a bunch of leftists. Yeah, <laughs> but maybe some... and he was, they accused him Ooh. of being an egghead, and he says, "Yes, I am an egghead on purpose." <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's all the same stuff we're hearing right now. Anyway, I mean, They're it's all... the same. It's all the same kind of taunts, scare tactics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all eating lunch at a cafeteria, and they all look exactly the same and wear the same suits, and are all tall white men. There are two women. <laughs> That's right. There are two women senators. There's a Hawaiian senator there, who never speaks. And he no, he said a lot of things. He said a lot of things. He, he said, said a few like things. one thing. He when, <laughs> We're gonna let's reel that back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a lot thing. of hello. He said a few things. One thing that I thought was interesting that is more of like an end of the synopsis discussion is that yeah. he was prominently featured in a lot of the scenes. Yeah, he's there for most of it. He's he did, on the committee. Uh, there was another um the senator from New Mexico. May have been a Mexican American. He was, he was played, based he was on the by um, an actor named Raul yeah. De Leon, um, and he also spoke and had some agency in this. He had a part to play in the story in forwarding the yes. story. Um, but it was very hard to tell most of the characters apart. Yeah, all the rest of the characters were white men between the ages of forty and eighty-nine. Or, you know, problem I also had with the contender <laughs> at points. Yes. So they're all sitting. They're having lunch. 
uh, Brigham is already distraught because someone has... By the way, they don't call him Brigham. They call him Brig. Brig. <laughs> I call him Brigham because he's from Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's his full name in the movie. Is, <laughs> and that is his name. Uh, he's already distraught. There's this man at a ta- at a ta- one of the other tables sitting around with some of the other senators, and they suddenly say to him, it's time for you to go and do your thing. And Not to Brig. They say this to some tall to man. To some tall man we've never seen before. And he walks slowly through the cafeteria <laughs> over to a telephone. Mm-hmm. Telephone booth. To a telephone booth. <laughs> yep. Uh, then a phone call is, is received in the cafeteria. It's Elsewhere. For, it's for break. Which is literally like just on the other side of the hall from yeah. the hallway the from the is, telephone yeah. booth. It's very Lucky that Brig does not hear him making right. this call. <laughs> <laughs> so Brig takes his call. It's more threats. Yeah. Uh, that they're going to reveal the information about Ray. They know about Hawaii. And he's very distraught again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the tall man slowly walks back through the cafeteria, back to his table, <laughs> while whistling an, a scary song. And everybody is staring at Brig through this whole thing. <laughs> it's the least subtle thing that's like yeah. ever happened. So I think it is at this point he goes back to, uh, Brig goes back to his office, talks to his secretary about somebody who had been trying to reach him mm-hmm. multiple times that he had refused to take calls from. Yep. And she tells him, he asks for the phone number, the person's phone number. She says she doesn't have a phone number. She just has an address. And so, and it's in New York. How would that happen? As a practical way, you wouldn't know who called you, but you wouldn't know the address of the person who called you? Well, you wouldn't know the phone call that you received a phone call from in 1960. Okay. Hmm. But you know the address? Or she's asking the address? He must have left it. Okay. The, The Ray... I'm just going to say, it's Ray. It's Ray. He left his address there, but no phone number. Which makes okay. sense, because he didn't... The address he left wasn't even his his <laughs> place of residence. Mm-hmm. So, Brig goes home. His wife is distraught and knows that something's wrong, and that he's lying to her. Yeah. She asks if it's about another woman, because she says, the only thing that this could really be about that you wouldn't tell me would be if there was another woman. I'm sorry I'm not the perfect wife, and like, starts to take all accountability fault. for all of this. Yeah, she's, she immediately takes responsibility for the fact that her husband's lying to her, because yeah. she's not a good enough wife, whatever that means. And he's like... To his credit, he's like, no, no, this is from like long before I met you. Yeah. This isn't your fault. He just kind of punts on that one. Yeah. He gives her a hug and says, I'm going to try to fix this. If I can't fix it, I'll tell you the truth. If I can fix it, let's just forget about it and never talk about it again. Which is absolutely a lie on both ends of that. He does not tell her the truth and he doesn't fix it. Well, uh, spoilers. Uh, right, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't do any of those. a little bit of So uh, he's supposed to go outside and play fish with his daughter, but instead he runs out of the house. <laughs> yeah, he literally runs out. To the out. airport and, goes and flies to New York to try to find this guy. And he goes to the guys, he goes to the address that is provided to him. Well, and he it, takes a weird detour here. He goes to the... <laughs> goes to the apartment address that he is given, where there is a very fat man with a big beard, with a big beard, wearing pajamas, flip flops, and pajamas, surrounded and by cats. Is, this is all important because they're trying to paint a picture for us, but it it didn't land. It's a stereotype that does not. I picked up on it. I, I mean, yeah, it's obvious what they're trying to do, but yes. it is not what we would do today. Yeah. I just assume this guy was a big gamer or something nowadays. <laughs> yeah. But he's got a fluffy bedspread and he's got lots flowers of and very fancy lamps and I don't know, seven cats. Yeah. And he wants to serve tea, forces forces Brig to drink tea out of a fancy teapot. 
So honestly, nowadays that guy seems very cool. <laughs> <laughs> what a friendly guy! So here's a, here's one thing about that. This is 1962, so the motion picture production code is still in mm-hmm. effect. Um, so maybe they just were trying to code it hard yes. because they couldn't actually say. And they never gay. do. They couldn't use the word gay. I don't think they, they ever do. No, yeah. they do not. I was a little shocked at the beginning when the wife of the whip calls herself a bitch. That yeah. was like, yeah, whoa, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so he gets some information from this man. This is not Ray's apartment. We don't know why he gave that address for his apartment. The man says, if you give me some money, you can bring Ray back here. And it's very clear he's saying, you guys can come back here to have sex. Well, but without ever saying yeah. those words. Yeah, none of those words, are, but it's all coded. Right. It's nice and quiet here. You can come back here with him and it'll be very private. Mm-hmm. So he gives him the address of the bar where Ray probably is. And he says the for club. some reason that the 602 Club, it's a special day at the 602 Club. Yeah. I really know. wanted to know what we that was. Is it a part? Like... Is it, is it like a special, is it a holiday? What, what day is this? I don't, I I don't, don't think know. they ever say. No. Is it the first Thursday? Is it Thirsty Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to the bar. He looks terrified the whole time. He yeah. goes to the yeah. bar. He walks in through the door, which is kind of elevated above the bar. The bartender mm. says, hey, come on in. Don't just <laughs> hey, stand pal. there. Well, it's all underground, so it makes it sense that a, he has to keep yeah, going uh-huh. down to the bar. It is underground. Um, this historically is the first depiction of a gay bar in an American movie at least it sure. looked very fun it yeah did. right I'd go in yeah. and they're very friendly they're yeah. like hey and great, they were come all on really in. good looking <laughs> and Frank Sinatra is prominently playing in the background yeah, yeah. Frank Sinatra song is playing in this bar um they're very gay I guess not really right, I mean, I mean as gay as you can be without anybody actually touching each other I mean and, his shirt yeah. was tucked into his pants it's all <laughs> yes it is coded as a gay bar there's nothing. Nothing happens. Nobody says anything. They're just really nice. Yeah. It reminds me, for a sidebar, it reminds me of, uh, have either of you ever seen the movie Bruno? The I sort of not. sequel have, to Borat? I have not no. seen Bruno. There is a scene, because he, Sasha Baron Cohen plays a gay man named Bruno who's mm-hmm. very flamboyant. Some of this stuff does not age well. <laughs> um, but at one point he is talking to, I want to say like a martial arts instructor, and he asks... <laughs> how to defend yourself from uh, gay people. And, and the guy's giving him some spiel. And he's like, well, how do you tell if somebody's some if it's, if somebody's gay? And he's like, well, I guess if they're like really nice. <laughs> and that kind of reminded me of how this is coded of like, well, the guy serves him tea and lets him and like waits on him while he's hanging out. And then he goes to the bar and they're all inviting him in and want to talk to him. <laughs> it's so funny. Although he kind of reminded me of and I'm sure this was some kind of stereotype that was being done before as well. But remember Alice, Sweet Alice? Mm-hmm. There is a man with a lot of cats in that yes. movie as well who looked almost identical yes. to this He's sort of a pedophile Yes, he's guy. definitely a pedophile. <laughs> I think it's movie. coded for deviant. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, he, he can't even... Uh, he, can't, he, he runs screaming from the bar. Which is very him. weird because he clearly knew that... His big secret was this guy, Ray, and their gay relationship. So I don't know why he was surprised to then find him at a gay bar. Yeah, I think... all sorts of weird. This raises a lot of questions to me about... It's not good storytelling. No, in a, in a real world, like, what was, his, what was his relationship with Ray? Like, they hooked up and he never thought about it again. And then when Ray called him, he's like, oh, I better fly to New York and... 
what was he going to do well, if he, he met Ray? He wouldn't have done that if it hadn't been for all the politics. Yeah, yeah I think he would have never talked about What was he going to do when right, he confronted Ray? Right, that's why I'm Ray. not sure yeah, what his whole clear. point of going there was. Like, none of that... I also think it's sense. interesting that he is not at all surprised that Ray is gay. Well, no, because that was their relationship. Right, but he's I don't he's think... not. Well... Or, is or he maybe just not he is, but I mean, there's out. there's there's a lot of unanswered questions about that relationship he had with Ray, where it's like, okay, so after they hooked up, then Brig went home and got married and said, I don't want to do this again, and Ray continued on life as a gay well, man. Well, no, Ray kept reaching out to him and trying to get in touch with him, and that's why he had to write the letter that was like, just stop just contacting me. Yeah, there's I'm just... I'm moving on with my life. There's a lot of questions, I think, that this movie leaves so open. The, that, that aspect or those parts of this movie are based on a true a real event that happened, which I'll tell you about after oh. we finish uh, the synopsis. Okay, that may give some context it, for like what it, the... It might give a little. Um, so he runs from the bar, Ray chases after him, he pushes Ray down through the He like taxi, slaps him. Through the taxi window and Ray falls into a muddy pool of water in the gutter. Never to be seen again. Literally falls into the gutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Then Brig just gets on an airplane. The vice president happens to be on the same plane because he was giving a speech in New York to the PTA. All sorts of weird coincidences mm-hmm. going on. Um, and they sit next to each other on the plane. He can tell that Brigham is distraught, but mm-hmm. he won't talk about it. They get back. And does he just immediately... Yeah. Is that the end? He goes, yeah, to, his he goes office. to his office. and He goes to his office and he kills himself by slitting his own throat. Which you don't see. It happens off the yeah. behind the door. The security guard goes and checks on him yeah. and Good old Mike. a phone call. Yeah. So what we see is the security guard uh, uh, jiggling door handles until he gets to Brigham's yeah. office. He knows he's in there. He goes in, but we don't see... We don't even see him go in. Uh, but the next scene is a bunch of senators at a party, which seems to be poker. a perpetual party that's always happening at yeah. that lady's house mm-hmm. um, with all the same senators, but some senators come and go. Charles Lawton comes in. I'm sorry, not Charles Lawton. Uh, Peter Lawford, whatever character. He's mm-hmm. one of the, he plays one of the senators. There's he, so many. Yeah, there's a lot of senators. Um, he comes in. I, I mentioned earlier on, I did try reading the book. This is, this is from a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Hmm. Um, unlike... All the King's Men, which was beautifully written, it was really pedantic writing. And the very first part of the book, they just introduce one senator after another. And I kind of <laughs> said, I don't think I'm going to read this book. Too much. And apparently that author wrote like seven novels about politics oh. and had some pretty oh uh, conservative ideas. Oh, interesting. Okay. Huh. Uh so, Does that give any context for what happens in this movie? It gives a little context to that, that speech at the beginning that we've already talked about where where Seabright uh, C- says, you know, I, I'm a patriot and let's wave our flags and, mm-hmm. you know, America. And then Leffington says, well, I think we should really be smart about this and, you know, negotiate with our... Yeah. So apparently the author, Alan Drury, uh, he believed that... Uh, liberalism would help communists undermine American capitalism. Hmm. And okay. that is kind of what That's they were arguing about. Now. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't how the, the movie does not make that message. Not super clear. But that is what the author of the novel. They sort of about. talk about it when they're talking about the communist meeting and their goals for it and how one of them was yeah. thought that it could only be a violent revolution and that Lawton and 
Morton thought that it would be about undermining the government instead. Right. Well, and they, a different movie would have painted Seabright more negatively. I mean, he was a villain of sorts, but... He was a charming he, villain. Yeah, he was, right. He's a charming... And he know. never actually does, does anything except just say, like, I, I disagree. Yeah. Um, and that that's oh, the movie he does a lot of things he manipulates people right and left he does yes but for the greater good <laughs> right but they, the movie paints his ideals as ideals instead of like in the contender <laughs> right never undercut by his crappiness as a human being so all the senators are at the the party that's going on all the time Woo! and they get a phone call and they find out that uh, Brigham has killed himself they don't know why well some mm-hmm. of them do some of them presumably know idea. what is behind it all. Yeah, they go to they go and they talk to the wife. She tells them nothing. She says, "I don't." And she know doesn't why. know anything. She does though. She has received the envelope. Oh, you're right. That. I'm sorry, we didn't talk about the envelope. We didn't talk about the envelope. So um, after, well, he's in New York. Well, he's in New York, or maybe around the same time that he's arriving back in Washington. Yeah, because I think that's why she starts calling his office because she gets the envelope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's daytime, definitely. And she's going back into her uh, house, I think, and she finds this envelope with a bunch of stuff written on the outside. Um, <laughs> it's a big manila envelope, and it says... Watch out! It says, read what's in... This is definitely a movie device. It's stupid, because the writing could be inside the envelope. Um, but it says, read this. Oh, I can't we have 500 it. more copies. Oh, that's right. That's important. That's important for what happened in the real event and i think it's clear on the envelope it says like your husband needs to withdraw support for this guy no no, no he no, needs no. to support or he needs right. okay he needs to let the vote go forward so but it's it's very it's explicitly blackmail they're yes. not like watch out they're like here's what he needs to do and inside the envelope you'll find the evidence as to why you'll recognize the handwriting you know we're not making this up and yeah. so he opens she opens the envelope there's a photograph of two sailors standing next to each other but with lays on because <laughs> they're in Hawaii. They're in Hawaii my dad got a lay when he went to Hawaii well he's gay <laughs> he's in the air force too did he stand next to another man probably uh oh <laughs> this movie has some questions for him yeah so and you see this letter so so scary and the letter is actually a little bit obscure but it says please leave me alone i have a wife and this is the life that i want to have well he says i think that what happened between us was because of proximity and loneliness and war and war and war and had it not been for that it wouldn't have and you would be gay yeah exactly (laughs) and you're such a beautiful person i hope you'll understand that yeah you know i can't ever talk to you again what do you think the time break here is between when he was serving and now as a senator my assumption is world war Two. yeah so like 10, uh, 10 maybe 20 the years more actually that Isn't makes more sense oh, it's hawaii yeah yeah but well, i guess that'd be world war Two as well so it wouldn't matter yeah but i, I know that my dad who uh not the korean war i'm sorry the vietnam war my dad was uh he stopped in hawaii on his way back to the states I'm but just they trying were to, stationed in Hawaii. I'm just trying to figure out, like, how long a break between the end of the war and this this issue have, popping up. I'm guessing Korean War because of the age of the person. Okay. Well, and, Which and was, long enough that he then got married and right. had a kid. And she looked, what, five, six? Uh, she looked like three or four. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, a little younger. When yeah. I first saw her laying in bed, I thought she was about two years old. No, she looked much <laughs> younger laying in bed than yeah. when she was wanting to play fish. And she could talk and stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but I'm betting, I'm thinking Korean War okay. because that was just before the Vietnam War, right? And in this movie in 1962, we would have been in the Vietnam War, right? And he's not in the military anymore. 
went to the Vietnam. Mm, I, <laughs> I don't know. The, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know much about that stuff. But I know uh, people were protesting it six well, years later. I don't. So. Yeah, I don't think this was. They couldn't have served in the Korean War, or I'm sorry, in the Vietnam War, because it would have. He's a senator now. Right. Unless he was serving the Vietnam War and then stopped right. and became a senator, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. So that's why I think it was probably the Korean War. Yeah. Um. Anyway, having solved that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So she now knows that her husband had an affair with a man. Well, not an probably. affair. Probably. Well, I mean, like, they were married. Like, they were like, married like a, a torrid affair type yeah, of right. not like yeah. a legal affair. <laughs> yeah. See, he had a, rela- a romantic relationship of some sort. With a person of the same sex. Yeah. So. He's dead now. Also, my interpretation was, oh, we've, the president illness has become more and more prominent mm-hmm. very gradually throughout the movie. You know he's ill. Somebody mentions that his surgery probably didn't work. Yeah. And, and they say it as like, no, I'm just telling you this off Oh, they're talking you know, to the vice the book, president. Right. But he had surgery and it didn't go well. So like, you're going to be the president. Yeah, right. And the vice president is not not really excited about that. He yeah, doesn't no think he'll be a very good president. Um, there's a scene with the president on a... We, oh, it was on some... A naval some reason, carrier. <laughs> the president is wearing pajamas on the deck of a naval carrier. I wonder if that's to, to show Johnny. how sick he is, is, that he, like, actually can't get dressed, that he's so What was he doing on a or carrier? A, I thought maybe it was a dock, but that doesn't no, make any No, it was definitely a boat. He was definitely on a But then ship. people just, like, hop off, so maybe it's a no, dock No, no, they boat. hopped onto a, um... Oh, that you're right, because you the, see a boat go away. Uh, they're not called... They're not dinghies. The... Yeah, a little transporting. Yeah, the little... I don't know what's it was going on. It was a weird scene. scene. The location of that scene was just weird. They just had one. They might as well use it, I guess. But the president, in that... In that uh, conversation that they have, he says, I don't have a whole lot of time left. And he flings his cigarette overboard. And my interpretation was he's dying probably of cancer from smoking a lot of cigarettes. Although in the time frame, I'm not sure how much people were thinking about that. I don't think you just collapse when you die of cancer, which is definitely how he died. He was just just fine up in one minute and then down the next. Kind of like uh, Gabriel over the White House. (laughs) And I forgot to mention that the guy who plays the president was in Gabriel over the White House. He played the president's right hand man in that movie. That was uh, in the 30s. Well, the only thing I can... I'll always think of Gabriel over the White House is that weird poster of his giant head <laughs> floating above the White House. <laughs> Very literal. All right. So, what has happened? Oh, he kills himself. That means there's nothing to stop them going forward with the vote. Mm-hmm. So, they all the senators go to take a vote. We all... The three of us assume Sieb is the blackmailer. Yes. Um, I think we're supposed to. Yeah. And um, Steve says, ah, I'm so sad. Yes. And so they're all, you know, they do some maneuvers to the the whip basically does some maneuvers so that they must take a vote right now. And they suddenly start taking the vote. Mm-hmm. Vice president, we as we learned very early on in the movie, if there's a tie, the vice president is the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's dramatic. And then the president dies. <laughs> yeah, while they're taking the vote. While they're taking the vote. Well, there is a there is a little bit of maneuvering where Sieb says, I'm very sorry and sad. I don't want to vote for this guy, but I'm going to tell nobody who's pledged their votes has Mm-mm. to follow through. Well, that he, no, That's what the majority he, says. They both say yeah. it. He says it in a different way. He yeah. says, oh, well. I don't I'm expect not... anyone to follow me. Right. I don't expect anyone to follow me. And then the... Majority, majority whip says I'm voting for him, but also I don't. All I, my I'll, pledges can vote however. They everybody want. vote whatever you want, and everybody goes. Oh no! Oh no! Especially the one guy. 
Yeah. The one guy who's been standing up for Lawton the whole time and you think like, yeah, yeah, like this guy's got it. He knows what's going on. He's he's for fairness and equity. One particular senator has been very vocal about Leffington being the next secretary of state. He's very much in favor of it. I don't know what his position is. I don't know who that guy is. He wasn't on the committee, but he was always there yelling about it. Yeah. Uh, And it turns out he's the blackmailer. Yeah. And so the... uh, the Whip and Seabright say, you're bad, get out of here. We know what you did and you suck. And he slinks off, which is a problem because then he's not there to cast his vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a roll call, get all yeah. the people in there. It's a tie, 47 to 47. It's a tie. The vice president is supposed to break the tie, except he has just gotten a phone call telling him that the president's dead. And so he basically says the vice president is not going to cast his vote. And then he tells all and senators. So, so that guy loses. He's not confirmed. He's not confirmed because an unbroken tie, I guess. It fails. It the, has to pass yeah. by a majority. Yeah. And now he's the president and he basically tells the majority whip, like, well, I could pick my own secretary. I get my so, own yeah. secretary. The end. The end. And, yeah. and the guy's like, okay, I'll help you now. Okay. That's, that's too bad politics. our friend killed himself. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. Yeah. You know, they go to vote after the guy kills himself, but they don't. But then they... They adjourn forever after the president dies. What? Yeah. Didn't it yep. like, take a day nope. for the guy who killed himself? It was so weird. It's weird that they don't take a day after the president dies. But they did. They, they took a recess. Uh, yeah. yeah. They're like, all right, we'll get back to this later. It wasn't that big. <laughs> it wasn't that important after all the end. Did they ever explain how the blackmailer knew about Briggs' past? Because I didn't catch that. And I thought that was I a real big plot I not know who the blackmailer hole. was, except I just recognized him from other scenes. I don't know what his relationship is to anybody. Uh, he was the biggest Lexington supporter. Yeah. But I just didn't understand how he had this information. No. Nope. Super weird to me. That is weird. Maybe he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> he's at Club 602. What would you guys think of that movie? Mm. It was boring. <laughs> it was real long. Yeah. It was, uh, and that. The stuff with Brig and Ray was in, was the most interesting part, but it is like a totally different movie for a little bit. Like it just, especially because of the way the movie ends, it hardly even. The movie is not about uh, blackmail or stuff, sexual improprieties or whatever you want to call it. It's all procedural. Yeah, and then but just, like coldly so. It's almost I don't know if I'd call it a cynical movie, but it's. Not an optimistic movie. I don't know. Maybe the guy who wrote it thought it was optimistic. Yeah, I was kind of surprised like that the way that plot line wraps up is like he kills himself because he's so upset and then nobody knows or cares and that doesn't factor in because the president dies. I think the author thinks like this just shows the process works or something. Like yeah, that. Like really no matter weird. how much backhandedness there is that the right outcome <laughs> as long as the president <laughs> kills over it's like, fine it is just like a weirdly cynical movie where nobody cares about big things like their fellow senator killing himself and, yeah uh, well yeah. i mean so this at this time in history uh, mccarthyism i think ended or the red scare ended in the 50s but this movie we, people were still afraid of communists sure and communism uh, in the government the lavender scare which i think was named much later um, was ongoing and started at the same time as the Red Scare, but people don't really talk about it very much, but that's kind of what that piece was about. Yeah. So basically, in 1953, President Eisenhower uh, signed, I think it's an executive order, 10450 or whatever. It was an order that uh, that didn't just allow, but actually made it 
compulsory for pe- for heads of departments to fire anyone who was gay. You couldn't be gay and work in the government. The uh, excuse they gave for this discrimination was that they were a security risk because they could be blackmailed. Which is so circular. Oh, yes. yeah, that's yeah, that, the logic on <laughs> that's amazing. It's still the logic mm-hmm. that, you know, up until Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed that yeah. was being used. Right. So in in around, in around the 70s, uh, I think they got rid of 10450. Is that what that is? Yeah. So people could work in the government again, but they were still denied the, they couldn't work in the military. Mm. And then Clinton did in the 90s, he did the don't ask, don't tell, which wasn't really a you can work in, you can be in the military. Yeah. It was more like, we're just not going to try to find out if you're gay. And if we can't find out, or if we don't find out you're gay, then we won't fire you. Right. So try to be... Oh, try to be discreet so we never find out. Yeah, just everybody keep it down the DL. Yeah, it wasn't until Obama that it was actually, he just said, no, gay people <laughs> can be in the military, come on. Yeah. <laughs> the atmosphere at the time that this movie actually was released with regard to both communism and homosexuality was very hostile. Yeah. Uh, they Alan Jury wrote this book uh, after it, an event that occurred and this... The parts with Brigham were kind of based on this event. And what had occurred was there was a beloved senator. I can't remember which state he's from now. He was a married man. He had children. His son was picked up. They used to have like this, uh, they would troll, the police would troll for gay men mm-hmm. and then lock them up and and uh, charge them with crimes, even if they didn't do anything. And it was often an entrapment. Mm-hmm. So they caught this senator's son, who was a seminary student, and... Uh, I watched an interview with him and he said, he was asked if he was gay and he said, this was when he was an old man. He said, I, I wasn't gay, I was just sort of exploring things. Because mm-hmm. later he gets he got married and he had children and lived a heterosexual life apparently. But he was arrested. Uh, initially the police and whoever was responsible for that program said, eh, if, we, if we prosecute this kid, this young man, it's going to ruin his life. He'll get kicked out of the seminary and... You know, let's just, oh, just going to drop it. Yeah. So they dropped it, but some other senators found out about it. Mm. And they, uh, Lester Hunt, who was a Democrat in a red state, I know. A blue dog of sorts. I think it might have been Iowa. But he was, uh, he was a senator in a usually Republican state, but he was mm-hmm. so beloved that they kept voting yeah. him in again. They wanted him to not run. So mm. they used his son's arrest to blackmail him to not run. Meanwhile, the son goes on trial. His mother and father go to the court and they support him there. Mm-hmm. Um, they threaten, they write a letter, you know, detailing the events. They print a whole bunch of copies and say, we're going to mail this to every one of your constituents. And they're oh. going to find out that your son's gay. And that leads him to commit suicide. He went to his office. He committed suicide by shooting himself with a rifle. That makes more sense than letting your own throat. throat. I don't know why they changed that. That's weird. Yeah. um, uh, And that senator was uh, Lester Hunt. Okay. Hmm. Well, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) That's my conclusion. Right. So, but I think part of the reason that I think this movie was probably more compelling to people living at that time than it would Mm -hmm. be to us because the landscape is completely different now. Well, (laughs) yeah, it is different. Uh, But large swaths of the nation do not consider homosexuals to be uniquely nasty, which was like a quote from an Eisenhower paper. Oh, boy. Um, 
they were definitely considered deviant. I think the way that this movie handles the homosexual characters is kind of interesting. Aside yeah. from because it simultaneously has to it plays with a bunch of stereotypes, but it also never uses the word gay. So and and it doesn't frame those characters as bad bad people, but it also relies on a lot of stereotypes right. where it's like Oh, well, okay, there. Well, I think that's the easiest, like we were talking earlier, it's the easiest way to get the message across to the audience without actually explicitly saying, saying this the thing is what they're was not happening. allowed to say. Yeah. It's so interesting that that, that but yeah, weird, they're weirdly like, tightrope. Respectful is not the word I'm looking for, but nice about it yeah. for the time. I mean, they don't make Brig seem deviant himself. He's And he doesn't seem evil or bad or sneaky. Or... Even the guy with all the cats doesn't seem yeah, deviant. He and, just seems effeminate. And then the other senators don't seem to freak out when they find out either and yeah. are really respectful about keeping the secret so that his wife isn't embarrassed. Yeah, it's a weird like tightrope this movie yeah. wants that puts it in yeah. just a weird place. That's not, I mean, that's not great. So what the, the wife of Lester Hunt actually, they lied about why he killed himself mm. to the media they said that he had was in poor health and she wouldn't allow them to talk about like the real reason why mm-hmm. he was depressed or whatever caused him yeah. to take those actions and she wouldn't for all, for her whole life she wouldn't admit to that well and he wasn't gay he wasn't gay <laughs> right that that's even more like more complicated in some ways cuz he's dealing with his son who it sounds like Survived this incident and turned out okay. Wow. Well, he looked fine in the interview. <laughs> sure, he was interviewed. And he's, he's alive. He didn't commit suicide. No. That amount of okay. Um, I thought it was interesting. Will, oh, well, here's something else about the director, Otto Preminger. He directed, he was an immigrant. Unlike Elia Kazan and, oh no, I'm blanking on something really important. Huh? You know, that guy who directed It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I can't remember his name. Wow. Jimmy Stewart. Nope. No, I don't. <laughs> but we watched, you know, he directed Power of the Press. We watched that as well. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. I'm concerned that I can't remember Steven his name. Spielberg. Anyway, so both he and Elia Kazan, who directed another movie that we watched, um, were immigrants. But they were more, they like came from poverty and then mm-hmm. they became directors and they directed very patriotic movies. Otto Preminger did not come from poverty. He was an immigrant. His father uh, was a, like, Basically, the something along the lines of an attorney general level lawyer mm-hmm. in, I believe, the Ukraine or maybe Bavaria. <laughs> Those ah, were very okay. different things. Yeah. Um, I think it might have been Bavaria. And then they immigrated here, and I can't remember why. Probably because of World War II, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. I'm pretty sure he was Jewish. So anyway, he was more uh, affluent. Mm-hmm. He made a lot of movies about controversial subjects like this one. Sure. Um, so did Ilya Kazan, actually. Yeah, it seems like it. He did a lot of controversial subjects as well. But one of Otto Preminger's first movies, I think, was The Man with the Golden Arm, which is about a drug addict starring Frank Sinatra. Mm. Where was I going with that? No idea. I was going somewhere. <laughs> Golden Arms, Frank oh, well. Sinatra. Oh, anyway. Immigrant uh, movies. I lost my train of thought. Okay. I can't remember that guy's name, and I lost my train of thought. Was it about the way they treat these subjects? doesn't seem like it based on the look on your face. Oh, well, he also was kind of, he did a lot of things to get media attention for Mm -hmm. his movies. So I forgot about this. I told you this before, probably forgot. 
He actually offered a part to Martin Luther King to play a senator. Oh, I do remember you telling me that. Um, who he said no, which is interesting because there were no African American senators at the time. There hadn't been oh. since the Reconstruction, basically. Yeah. It wasn't until I, I'm assuming late in the '60s, maybe. I don't know when when we yeah. finally actually had an African American senator in the in our government. Yeah. Um, but there were none then. There were two women senators represented, and but there was also a thing. I remember, I recall where sometimes when a senator would die, his wife would take his place. <laughs> Maybe okay. that's why these women were there. One of the senators was played by Betty White. Mm-hmm. Yay! Um, she was very young, except she wasn't. She was very young compared to how old she is now. Right. She's 96 now. She's still plugging along. Um, she was about 40 years old in this movie, but she looked very young. Yeah. Um, it's The other thing that he, he had a habit of doing these media type things like when he offered the part to Martin Luther King that became a news story mm-hmm. and he did that in other movies that he cast he okay. also ca- cast an actual senator a very old man some comic relief <laughs> the whole time until he woke, woke up to vote and that senator I can't remember what state he was from but he had been like a senator for eight terms I like that. That made me laugh every yeah. time he woke up and immediately shouted, I'm opposed. Ah. <laughs> Sad part is that uh, he died before the movie. Oh, yeah. That is too bad. Now let's talk about The Contender. Oh, I wanted to talk about Will Gear a little bit. Okay. Ooh. So we watched a movie called The Salt of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Will Gear. that was a movie that was made by three blacklisted... Uh, that movie was really good. That was a really good movie. Go watch that one. The director was blacklisted at the time. Will Gear was blacklisted at the time. Mm-hmm. That was also another kind of controversial thing that he did. Will Gear was a blacklisted uh, actor, but he was in this movie. Mm-hmm. Will Gear was blacklisted. The writer was and director and producers were all blacklisted for that movie. <laughs> Will Gear also was a longtime lover of one of the founders of the Mattachine Society. The Mattachine Society was a was like one of the very first activist gay rights organizations mm. that was founded like in the 50s. I don't know what else we want to say about that, except that, um, no, yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Give some context, yeah. I suppose. Did I have anything else? Yeah, look at your notes. What do you got over there? I see something Brig. Chairman Brig. That was chairman just to Brig. remind me that he was the chairman of the committee. <laughs> Aha! I have a lot more notes on The Contender, actually. Yeah. It was a better movie. Mm. It was a more entertaining movie. I mean, it was mm. easier to... I didn't fall asleep. It was, yeah, it was easier to follow along. It was entertaining. I, got them, I, knew, I knew what they were trying to tell me. I found it entertaining. I didn't especially like it very much. I have some problems with it. How about that? Put it mm. that way. The fair. Uh, we should probably talk about it, though, right? Yep. We need to do a synopsis of that movie, which is almost identical, right? There's a lot of crossover. Yeah. Uh, I don't especially want to synopsize this one, but I will if you don't want to, Nicole. I mean, I can. You guys got to jump in, though, because I might yeah. forget. So the movie opens up with um, William Peterson, who is playing the governor of Virginia, I think, um, in a boat. It's the guy from CSI. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Peterson. yeah. That's right. Um, and he's... He's being interviewed. No. Right now he's fishing. 
But who's that guy in boat? I thought it was a reporter. Oh, was it a reporter? I thought it was one to be somebody on it, his campaign staff. No, I think it is a reporter because okay. that's kind of the setup right. here. So he's fishing in this yeah. boat under a bridge, and all of a sudden a car crashes off of the bridge. Yeah. And he immediately jumps into the water to try and save the person in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, swims all the way down, is trying to get the door open. It won't because pressure. Um, yeah. And... You can't get the window pried open, and you can just see the woman mouthing, help me. Mm-hmm. And as he's down there, the reporter is calling the police, and he's like, I, I don't I don't know how to describe where we are. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're under a bridge or in the water. You right. Know, help. So William Peterson's character surfaces, tries to go back down again, can't get her out. No dice. She dies. And so there's um, all this sort of hoopla surrounding him now because he is... A, I guess they call him a hero, even though she died. But it, yeah. what he tried to do was heroic. He tried. And he's kind of trying to step back from it. Yeah, like, yeah. She he's died. Like, I, I, really I wish I could have done more. Um, yeah. But everybody's talking about how now he has jumped to um, the top of the list to replace the vice president who has recently died. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes to the White House to meet with the president, who's played by Jeff Bridges, who's great. <laughs> and yeah. um, the president says... A very Clintonian Jeff Bridges, yes. I would say. <laughs> Who also smokes secretly. Yes. Yeah. Now, now that's the year 2000, they say the president still smokes, but he has to do it in secret. Right. Uh-huh. So he says, hey, um, you know, we really like you, but we think that this will be used against you instead of for you, that you won't mm. actually be seen as heroic. They'll dredge up Chappaquiddick. Yeah, they reference Chappaquiddick for some reason. Yeah, well, because it's, you know, a real event. It's a thing. <laughs> that happened with a car. someone died. <laughs> um, and he says, no, no, but the difference is that I didn't run away. I tried to save her. And they're like, it's just, it's too much. We think you'll... She died. It'll be, yeah, yeah. it'll be contentious and we want this to be a smooth confirmation. Mm-hmm. So sorry, we're going to go with someone else. That all seems like a lie. It's not great. <laughs> and it is all a lie. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be partially true, but the point is that yeah. the president wants to have a legacy and he wants his legacy to be that he shattered the glass ceiling. So he wants to nominate a woman to be vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of go through the list of the women in the party who, you know, one of them's to this and one of them's to that and one of them's on the Supreme Court. So she won't step down. And yeah. the woman he nominates is a senator from Ohio who is the least objectionable, <laughs> they, yeah, they think. Um, and then we see Gary Oldman's character who... Slimy Gary Oldman. Right. In real life, too. Played by Slimy Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah. um, who invites the... I don't know if he was... Oh, there's so many characters. I yeah, I think he was just on the roles. staff or the for the president, sort of vetting these people and says... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who who did he really want? Had, did he want this other guy whose name was like Howell or something? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I don't remember the character's name, but Howell. William Peterson's, yeah, the governor's character, he says, you know, who, who did he really want? Because he couldn't have really wanted this woman. I don't want this woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, yeah, yeah, like that guy would have been a choice, but he's not now. And so yeah. Gary Oldman says, well, I'm going I'm to take her down mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he will be a choice. Yeah. And so Gary Oldman's entire motivation during this movie is to hire private investigators and do some opposition research on her. Um, at the same time, he um, is sort of bugged <laughs> by an up and coming uh, Democrat. I should <laughs> say the party empowers the Democrats and Gary yeah. Oldman is a Republican who, much like in... Um, the previous movie, the older movie, yeah. uh, has a grudge against the president. And a weird accent. <laughs> but one of the differences is that in the in advice and consent, it's all 
one party infighting. Right. This yeah. is actually two parties Which fighting makes more sense. each other. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's based on a grudge that I guess the president humiliated him in some public setting where he was in, I don't know, some sort of committee meeting. And... So in the if in the book Advise and Consent, that is the same relationship that Seabright has with Leffington. Yeah. Mm. Leffington has done something to embarrass Seabright so before that's... the movies. Before it's the very starts. petty. Yes, yeah. it's a lot of pettiness, um, which comes up later. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and so Christian Slater plays this sort of fresh-faced senator from Delaware. Mm. Or no, is he just a congressperson? No, I think he's a senator. Are he's they both senator. senators? Okay. I love seeing Christian Slater show up and stuff. Right. <laughs> and, you know, he says, I, you know, I want to be on this committee. And the guy's like, you're brand new. You're a freshman. Yeah. You don't have enough seniority. And he's like, well, but I could. You don't have to listen to the people nominating them. Like, you get to pick the committee. Right. Um, and Gary Oldman realizes, oh, like, this guy, because he's, he's promised that the hearing will be fair in that there will be 50-50 split among Republicans and Democrats who are doing the, you know, interviewing of the candidate. Mm -hmm. And so he appoints Christian Slater's character, knowing full well that he's a Democrat who opposes the nomination of Lane. Right. um, Who is played by Joan Allen. Does he ever say why he opposes Lane? I think he doesn't think she's qualified. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is what he says. Which is eye rolling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but this is for vice president. So if the president dies... Yeah, I know. (laughs) There's a lot of overt sexism in this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of the the movie. movie. Also, I mean, (laughs) um, this movie was written for Joan Allen, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, she's good in it. The writer, the director also wrote this movie. He specifically wrote it for Joan Allen, and he specifically didn't want her to play a beleaguered mom or whatever. She's feisty. She had been allowed to play in the past. I believe IMDb Trivia says something differently, that there was another famous woman up for that part hmm. but it well, that's not ended up I going read. to John Allen, John Allen. <laughs> hmm? I don't know if I would trust IMDb also, trivia yeah, apparently <laughs> Gary Oldman had some uh, he, who's also a producer of this movie had some uh, yeah I heard he was upset with the way the final cut went yeah there was something but I don't know what make. about it hmm. not um, about him So then we sort of learn a little bit about um, Joan Allen's background. We meet her family. She has a six-year-old son. Um, She comes from a Republican conservative family. She grew up Republican and Mm -hmm. then switched parties to be a Democrat fairly recently in the movie. I think it had been when she ran for Senate, however many terms ago that was. There's a funny scene where her and her husband meet the president and the president's like, Hey, husband, get out yes. of here. And <laughs> well, he really is out of there. Yeah. And he says, you know, very specifically, it's one thing to have the wife of a senator on the campaign trail and she looks supportive. If you have the man on the campaign trail, he just is like a, a puppeteer. Pup- a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the guy's like, okay. All right, okay. He's very supportive. <laughs> yeah. So um, Gary Oldman hires this opposition research and what they find out is um, there are some pictures that surface from when Joan Allen's character was... Uh, a freshman in college yeah. pledging a sorority and the photos purport to show that she was part of an orgy where yes. she's you know having multiple sex par- partners and it was part of the pledging to get into the sorority and and they have a witness yes eventually. they they interview, they interview sorority sisters and things like yeah. that they're all deposing them um and to begin with they sort of ask her policy questions, but not specific policy questions during the hearings. They ask mm-hmm. her about, um, you know, her philosophy on things. And ask her about abortions. Abortions. And they have a very fiery conversation about, you know, I don't believe in the right to let women be murderers and genocide. And, yeah. yeah. And she's like, 
trying not to get ruffled and yeah um it's it's a it's a good back and forth um and christian slater's character is sort of plays both sides you know he mm-hmm. he when she's first sworn in and she swears an oath to the bible um christian slater does a point of order and says she's given this yeah she's given this interview that says she doesn't believe in god so how do we know she's not gonna lie if she just yeah. swore an oath who's to gonna strike her down if not god right so you know he's playing that side of it and it's very clearly scripted <laughs> between mm-hmm. the two of the the senators um and then gary oldman and again that congenial sort of senatorial deference is like no no i think we can just trust that she knows not to lie like you're not gonna lie right and mm-hmm. um and then occasionally some question sort of crosses the line and christian slater's character is like i don't i don't know if we should ask that or be nicer yeah. about it but he doesn't ever actually come to her defense he's just sort of trying to keep it civil yeah right <laughs> on on you know the up and up um and i think that they establish certain things they establish certain things about each character like very early on there there's no like tricks as to who's bad and who's good no it's very black and white who has integrity christian slater's character has integrity joan allen's character her husband the president uh sam elliott they all are people of integrity and then carrie Carrie oldman Oldman. is not a person of integrity (laughs) nope so he yeah he brings up these photos and the allegations and joan allen refuses to talk about them she says my sexual history isn't relevant you wouldn't ask this of a man. I don't think it's an appropriate conversation. I'm not going <laughs> to. Very quiet. <laughs> we're, we're pouring champagne now. I got some champagne. All right. I didn't know it was going to be that noisy. Bloop. Let's <laughs> just do some refills. And... I. Wait. No. Nicole was talking at the time. That oh, you're happened, right. So she needs to finish her <laughs> yeah. talk. Yeah. Let's, let's rewind. Where were we? Do you remember where? <laughs> no. Uh... Something about Gary Oldman? Oh, that he's about to bring up the photos. So if you have something yeah. before that. No, I don't okay. want So Gary Oldman's character decides to bring up these allegations and Joan Allen refuses to talk about them. She thinks it's her private life isn't necessary. You know, it's not relevant. Her sexual history isn't relevant. She refuses to even deny it or respond to it at all. She just says it, it's not, it's beneath the, you dignity, know, the dignity you know. of the office. And she's, if she even tries to discuss it, it's validating that it's, you know, a legitimate question. She also makes the point that if she was a man, nobody would nobody care. would care what her mm-hmm. sexual history was. I will say, at some point in this section, we also see there is a separate investigation, a little ambiguous, a of woman a, of a woman. We think she's probably a reporter. She's not, but that's kind of framed that she's a reporter, and she is interviewing what's his face from CSI and people around him about the car accident at and the beginning she, of the movie. She actually, her questions cast some doubt on the events. Mm-hmm. Like yes. She, you definitely come away from that thinking as a as a viewer that, oh, maybe that wasn't an accident. Maybe yeah. that was staged. Yes. At and the very least, you think there's something suspicious about it. That right. maybe it wasn't altruistic. And the first scene with her is actually kind of interesting because she comes in as kind of a, like a ditz. And he's like, oh, let me just answer your dumb questions. Right, she and seems like she's, she's fawning all over him. Yes, and then midway through the interview, she's like, well, why would you be fishing there? That's not a good fishing spot. Right. You fish yeah. there all the time, so you'd know not to fish there. You fish in that lake all the time. You were in the crabbing area. Yeah, there aren't you, fish there. Yeah. And well, also she, you have new, like, fishing gear. Yeah. Why would you have new gear if you, like, were fishing? All, like, all these questions. And I think another way she threw him off was to sort of ask him, like, Oh, I, you know, you said you've supported this new nominee. 
you know, what makes you support her. And so he sort of stumbles around on that about whether or not he knew her. And you can sort of see the difference between when he's being candid and when he's trying to cover up something. Yeah. And you can notice that it's a similar cadence. Right. This There's a couple scenes with this who we think is a reporter early on that kind of build throughout the movie. I forget yeah. the name of the actress, but she was on Cold Case. She was the main the main character, character on Cold Case. She also interviews a blonde woman who is a friend of Lane's, right? And Lane... It, no, she was a. No, it's, she's a friend of some woman. She, she's, she's a friend of the woman who died. Oh, and she's yeah. like, <laughs> "What was going on?" And he's like, "Oh, she was in Vegas with her sister, or whatever." She invited her friend to go with her to Las. She invited this person who's being interviewed to go with her to Las Vegas, uh, but the person being interviewed could not go. And I right. don't remember what the significance of Vegas was. I think that it's that she suddenly got a bunch of money. Yes. was my impression. Oh, yes. Okay. Which you later find out she did get a bunch of money. Yes, there's some, there's some, you know, it's harsh very, cuts. Yeah, it's very <laughs> vague, but I um, think that's where it. All right, I'm, I must have gone. They don't want to lead us too much down. Yeah, the it's very patch ambiguous. <laughs> um, so then we cut back to uh, uh, Joan Allen talking with the president about mm-hmm. whether or not she should withdraw, withdraw and she says. I'm, I'm not planning on it because I don't think I did anything wrong. Um, Gary Oldman's side leaks a story that the FBI is now going to investigate whether or not this was prostitution and she had gotten money for it back mm-hmm. in college, knowing full well that there isn't an FBI investigation, but that the idea that there could be one is enough to push the story, especially if they leak it on a Friday and then people can talk about it all weekend. And I think Sam Elliott is pushing that she withdraw her nomination. Yes. Oh, Sam Elliott is one of the advisors to the president. He's saying this is just not going to work. And the president's like, no, I like her. Or or they, or they ask her, you know, can you just deny this? Like, yeah, can you just say no? And she's um, like, no, I won't. At some point we were watching the movie and Sam Elliott says something and Maggie says, that voice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so interesting because I can't remember who they were talking about, but they were talking about nominees in general when she was accepting the nomination for the president and he was saying like, oh, well, if there was an affair that happened, you know, that we could explain away. And she was like, exactly. <laughs> like if it was a man who just had an affair, this wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. And it was before um, she was married. It's not an affair. Exactly. Right. So they bring up the, they, they realize she's not going to talk about, in quotes, her personal life um, during mm-hmm. the hearing confirmations. So they try and press her to deny the prostitution because they think if they can get her on the record denying that aspect of it it'll look even more suspicious that she's not denying the actual salacious acts of Mm -hmm. it um so uh somebody brings up the investigation and asks gary oldman's character about it um and i think he's the ranking committee member and he says something like well i'm just gonna wait to see what the fbi investigation says but i'm gonna let the nominee have a chance to respond and Mm -hmm. she says no, I'm, I'm going to wait for the investigation, too. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. That's all I got, you know, <laughs> and sort of tries to outmaneuver them successfully, in my mind. There's a couple of, well, there's one weird scene in the middle where she's running, and I can't remember exactly. She's running through the cemetery. She does it twice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she and has her husband pace her. It's supposed to be Arlington Cemetery, yeah, but that, it, that, it clearly is not Arlington Cemetery. Mm-hmm. No. What was the point of that scene? I don't know. They were, so there was a lot of, like, I mean, the whole movie is heavy-handed, oh. which I don't mind if a movie just embraces that. <laughs> well, I, d- I wrote here that there was some Capra-esque... I mean, it did kind of reach that level of... Uh, well, there's a, there's a sweeping orchestral score yes, at points. Yes, and it's while Gary Oldman is giving this monologue, this stirring speech about, you know, the morals and the values that he's trying mm-hmm. to uphold and why he's attacking her and that, 
you know, he tells the other senators, you know, you may sort of question why you're doing this and you may feel guilty about it, but just remember that, you know, we're on the right side of this. And it's sort of, I think they're trying to juxtapose, juxtapose like, who's the real patriot or something. Mm-hmm. You know? She also gives a sweeping speech. And so does the president point, at some point. The president There's a lot of well. sweeping speeches. <laughs> uh, I think that they, she is run, they show her running through the cemetery earlier because they need to set up that that's a thing she does yes. for later. <laughs> I do think it's really funny that the idea that she goes running in the cemetery, but her husband is there pacing her in the car. Like, right, and what is he doing there? Is, I think isn't that super just disrespectful? Oh, I would think so. Through Arlington Cemetery. Why are you driving through Arlington There's Cemetery? There's so many places you can run in Washington D.C. that are not a graveyard. I think she asks him to pace her because she wants to keep a certain speed. Right. So that's how she can make sure she's. But that's really speed. weird. But yeah, it's not great. <laughs> um, uh, it, it sets up the ability for her to be listening to the radio later while she's running. In a pre-iPhone it's day. Because 2000. But it's really <laughs> dumb. Year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> zero, 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 zero. <laughs> yeah. So um, at this point, we see her in a gym Shoot playing buckets. basketball very poorly by herself. Yeah. Um, and Christian Slater comes in and he's just sort of like, why don't you defend yourself? Like, you you can defend yourself. Yeah. Um, and she's like, yeah, uh, you want me to do that because you want to feel like this is a fair fight and you're not just bullying someone mm-hmm. and it doesn't, it's not fun anymore for you to sort of feel like you're on the wrong side of this. But again, like I'm not going to dignify these questions. Like it's sexist. It's, yeah. it's not fair. Um, uh, she goes on a talk show to sort of talk about policy and like her stance on, you know, all her experience and things like that, the actual issues. And they make a yeah. big deal or her, whoever's handling her at the time makes a big deal about the fact that she doesn't have a monitor. So right. she can't see the person she's speaking to. Oh, yeah. It's similar to the end of the Ides of March where we don't hear the questions. We only see her responding to them. It's just similar like to Wiener. Where yeah, he's having exactly that argument. Thing. Yeah. Um, that was super weird in Wiener where he's just staring into space, yeah. but he's talking to somebody. And angry. <laughs> so it starts out well and she's sort of discussing her platform and her you know successful legislation that she's passed um and then she asks you know instead of me just talking about my experience if you have an actual question about my foreign policy issues like ask them to me so i can tell you about it and instead they pivot to this of course story that's out there um and she says you know i'm not going to respond to that and then they uh surprise her with um a guy who says he was one of the men who had sex with her at the fraternity you know, and they ask her if she recognizes him. And she's like, I can't see him. You didn't give a me a monitor. Yeah, um, that was funny. But again, I'm not going to respond to this. And she, um, as the one guy sort of talking about how great it was and how they had the photos up on the wall and they yeah. had a nickname for it. I forget what it was, but uh, it wasn't great. Something lame. Yeah, it was, it was not nice. Anyway. Um, and he's weirdly like smug about it, which yeah. I didn't think would come across great. But maybe it does. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe in 2000 it would have. Um but yeah, so she she gets up and leaves and cuts off the interview. And they're all really upset about it. And I think at this point, she goes to the president and says, you know, if you want me to withdraw, like, let me know. Yeah. Um. So he goes and has um, coffee or something or dinner with Oldman's character. Yeah. And he says, you know, listen... I, I don't trust you anymore. How do I know if I nominate someone else that you will actually confirm this guy? You know, if I if I drop her nomination, if I withdraw her nomination, you need to have already embraced... Oh, there's a scene right. before this that, oh, right. that's important, which is that you see the reporter 
from earlier <laughs> doing air quotes. And she goes and meets with Sam, Sam, Sam Elliott, and he's like, thank you, special agent, or yes. whatever. Thank you for your investigation. The other thing is that the person that they're going to put up for the vice presidency, if you know, if he allows her to back out, is we're back to the the governor, right? Who governor who Gary Oldman wanted all along. Yeah, yeah. Mr. D- Divey guy, Mr. CSI. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he says, you know, you have to marry yourself to this guy. As in, if you tank his confirmation hearing, then you go down. Like that's how I, close you have to be to supporting this right. guy. You somehow have to present to the public that <laughs> this is your guy. Yeah. I have a lot of problems with this plot point, but that's we'll move on. Um, but it's so clever. Don't you see how clever it is? Jacob? No, it's not clever, um, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so Gary Oldman character does publicly talk about how great (laughs) this governor is um thinking that you know the next day when they go to um this not a correspondence dinner just some sort of no party there we definitely saw a correspondence oh in the first movie in the first movie there was a correspondence (laughs) yeah actually went to the correspondence dinner the president (laughs) got up and said that's where the president made his speech in advise and consent basically saying I'm not backing down from this nominee, right? Yes. Yeah. We get a very similar scene in this movie. Yeah. But instead, in this one... um, He goes to the Senate floor, I think. But that's later. That's secondary. So first, they are at this party, and the president invites Joan Allen and Gary Oldman and Lily Peterson back to the Oval Office, um, where we think Gary Oldman, at the very least, thinks that now is the time where he's going to say, yes, I'm formally withdrawing Joan Allen for a nomination, and I'm going to substitute in William Peterson's character, Mm -hmm. like you asked. Instead, they throw the file at William Peterson and say, hey, that girl that you, you know, saved, saved, we know that she wasn't just a legal intern. We know that you found her because she used to be in the military. We saw the ad that you placed in like Soldier of Fortune magazine or something. Yeah, that's the details of this. We found the money that you paid her. You staged this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it turns out he staged this whole thing to be a hero and it didn't go great. She died. He did actually plan to save her. Um, right. I think, at least, I don't think he planned it. Oh, well, and they say, "Oh, what is that?" It's like uh, negligent, negligent homicide. homicide. Arrest him! Yeah, <laughs> arrest that man. And there's an anxious man there to arrest him. Yeah. He wants to arrest him as soon oh, as he comes well, in. Well, he <laughs> should want to arrest him as soon as he. And he, he tries to read him his Miranda rights, and the president's like, "Nah, nah." He knows I'm like, it's "No, fun. he has to say." Oh, like, great! He's not going out. to jail now. I was totally freaking it's out about that. Did you know they don't have to say your Miranda rights? I mean, they do. It's just whether or not. Everything else will follow along. Yeah, they don't have to tell you right away, but they do have to read them to you. No, yeah. I don't think they do actually. Not by law. No. I, read, I was reading about it. They're not. What they're, what's happening is when they're objecting to it, a lot of courts are saying, if we can find other evidence where that indicates you did know them, they knew it. Then we won't throw out everything that came from it. But you do still have to have Miranda. Right. The Miranda thing, hasn't been overturned yet. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that I read was that um, because people it's so relevant prevalent. Mm-hmm. that this is true so it's they so mm. overwhelmingly believe that it's true that their rights must be read to them they can't do anything about it you uh. must read your rights to people because that's what the vast majority of well the courts yeah the courts when they're ruling against this say because it's so prominent in the, in the public media. sphere that people do know their miranda rights um so it's it's usually more nuanced cases when like the person doesn't speak english or they're intoxicated or something is yeah. impairing them so a lot of um stations when they're arresting them will have them sign a card that says i understand my miranda rights instead what's going on here yeah so there's other ways they're dealing with it but yes we're whittling (laughs) we're whittling down miranda don't worry about it yeah 
Um, so anyway, Gary Oldman's character is freaking out in the scene, and he's like, I feel very tricked. And the president's like, just this one time. I just did this one time to you. But yeah, you were tricked. And sucks to be you. You married yourself to this guy just like I planned. Yeah, now no one will ever trust you <laughs> yeah. because you said you liked this guy, and he's actually bad. So now... You're, You're a, a jerk face too. <laughs> I don't know. Embarrassed now. So then um, he, he marches down and sort of is addressing Congress and gives this rousing speech about sexism and shattering the glass ceiling mm-hmm. and how dare how dare anyone question things you know about her private life when they wouldn't do that to a man and he's not withdrawing her and he expects and everyone to confirm her. And we're voting we're right, now right now with a now special super vote. Because I want to see you cowards and who you know doesn't vote for her. Gary Oldman runs out of the room. Yeah. Just like that other guy. And he exactly. looks at him and says you have no he says, dignity. He says yeah, have you no dignity. Have you no, and he's, and Which is that line that brought down the yes. Yeah, Everybody spit on Gary Oldman. But he also says, he says, you know, you can run from this but you can't run from the American public. Well, <laughs> the guy that, that yelled at uh, McCarthy did not say, have you no decency, sir? He said, have you no sense of decency, yeah. sir? Mm. Well, so and they similar, they referenced <laughs> that again earlier in the film, um, before the whole abortion questioning comes up, because they know it's going to come up. Um, uh, so we, we meet Gary Oldman's wife <laughs> in a scene where they're sitting in the dark <laughs> where they live, <laughs> and she's very upset that he has brought up this orgy rumor and made it sort of central to the questioning because she says you know you don't understand history you are a second rate mccarthy um and you don't understand that this is not what women want to see oh you know you're 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 on the wrong side of history on this one and sort of berates her husband for this um so we know she's not happy with him to begin with we we skipped over the other abortion subplot right that's that's the second part so So then later in the movie, right before the abortion questioning comes up, she goes to meet with Joan Allen's character and says, hey, when this comes up, you can call him out on it. You can make him look foolish and say, um, you know, do you think, you know, 20 years ago, your wife had an abortion. Do you think she's a murderer? Yeah. Um, and and her Joan Allen's advisor is real excited. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, my gosh, he's a, he's a hypocrite. And mm-hmm. the wife says, no, no, he doesn't know about it. Like, this will be a complete ambush, oh, a surprise to him. had an abortion he didn't know about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the abortion questions happen, we're all watching the scene, waiting to see Joan Allen call him out. And she doesn't. She doesn't use the information she has because she's consistent. She's the good guy. She cons- she's she's consistent good. in the idea that private matters shouldn't be public fodder and they're not relevant to the hearing. So she just lets it sort of, you know, yeah. she lets herself be beat up on this issue because she's standing her ground mm-hmm. and she's sticking to her principles. She at one point says, I wrote this down. Oh, somebody questions, you know, her, you know, why she's sticking to her principles so strongly. And I think it is her character that says, Principles only mean something when you stick to them when they're inconvenient. At the end. Yeah, because he tries to get her to not stick to her principles and just say the truth. I mean, say the information, I guess. So it is the truth. She's she's jogging again at the end through the cemetery while the president is addressing Congress and she's listening to it on the radio because she's fully expecting. Well, she's written her letter of resignation and given it to him. And, And this is when the president gives the speech about how it was Napoleon, right? Said that. To get power, you have to be petty, and to keep power, you have to have character. So to use power well, you have to have greatness. Greatness, that's what it was. You know, and he sort of says, you know, she wasn't petty, and she is great. But she's the best. Yeah, so that's why I'm not withdrawing her. Yeah. (laughs) So 
Anyway, it was it was a nice little and she speech moment. Cries and hugs her husband, and it's time to be the person now. And we have, we assume she gets confirmed. They don't actually show it, but yeah. it's implied. And well, and then there's one last really super weird scene that made me feel uncomfortable. Oh yes, yeah, so the president. Um, has, oh, yeah, that was a weird No, I, was that before? It was that's before. The, that's like the very end of that movie. It was, no, it's right before he goes to Congress because he wants her to come out. They they find out that oh, right. more research has been done on this. And it turns out that... They can prove she was She not. wasn't the woman in the two, photos. Two men came forward. Yes. The two men who were in the room. So when she tells the story of... Wait. No, yeah, she tells she tells the president that I can't it wasn't remember what order it yeah. was, but there were two men in a room that she went into. These two men came for, come forward and say nothing happened. Either. Right, right. So they she know never actually slept with anyone. Um, she, you know, she tells the story that the whole idea was, you know, she didn't oh, want to. Hold do on, it. we have to frame <laughs> this. I don't want to do, because the president and her are at some function, and her and the president go on a. This is right after walk. William Peterson has been arrested, and they sort of they are on the White off, House lawn. <laughs> and he like takes her hand she's and smoking a cigar for some reason. And, well, but she coughs. She doesn't yeah, like she it. She gags on it, and <laughs> and then he like takes her away and lays down his code, and then they sit on it, and he's like, "Well, you can tell me the real truth yeah. now." And she just tells him that you know she was she was in college, she was pledging the sorority, she was kind of lonely. This was a good way to make friends. She was the daughter of the sitting governor at the time, um, and so she was like, "Well, you know, if men can sleep their way to get you know pledged in, then why shouldn't women be able to do it?" Sure. Um, but then she changes her mind. But then they liquor her up with six beers, and so she goes to the fraternity anyway. Mm-hmm. And then when she gets there, she backs out. She decides not to yeah. do it in she a says, comedic I manner. I don't smoke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then, it, you know, it turns out it wasn't her. And that the women in the photo either, I don't know if they staged the photos well, or she if says it was just another something pledge. To him. She says, like, I have a birthmark. Yeah, and that woman that in the woman. photo does not. Right. But I, but it, what I meant was I didn't know if that was another oh, pledge or yeah. if they, because she says that, that the rumor still spread around campus that it was her anyway. Right. Um, so that was something she sort of lived with, this right. idea that, because they always wanted the idea of like this governor's daughter to be a bad girl. They mm-hmm. loved the rumor on campus about her. And the president says, well, you know, we, we could use everybody. this. Yeah. And yeah. she says, again, like, I'm not going to do that because the whole point is it's nobody's business. And frankly, yeah. it's none of your business. Even though I just told you. Yeah, even though we just yeah. And then all the Secret Service run up and go, oh, where'd the president go? We found him. So, anyway, that's why he thinks she's so principled and mm-hmm. she is, I guess. Yeah. And so then she's the vice president now. Ta-da. Now? Well, yeah. in the movie. In the movie. She's the vice president of the movie. The end. Yes, I enjoyed it. I don't, like I said, I don't mind heavy-handed movies when they're just embracing that that's what they are. And this movie had a point of view, the idea that politics are sexist. Yes. <laughs> so that somehow they're... I'm sorry, that was a very cynical <laughs> start to a sentence. That there are people with integrity in politics and just the other people are just evil. Yeah, uh-huh. no. I mean, I, it was very Capra-esque. It was very clear, white, black and white, who's good, who's bad. It was it was a little, like, hard to watch when... Also, Capra is the name that I couldn't remember earlier. <laughs> was that man's name you even mentioned his name a few times (laughs) but yeah it was a little hard to watch when jeff bridge's character was you know being very optimistic about the role of women he says you know there is going to be a woman in the white house (laughs) one day and it was yeah and it was very like hard to be like "Mm." yeah yeah, maybe (laughs) so that was you know 
t- tough to see that that optimism and yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I he was the character was of the president was charming. Well, but Jeff Bridges like, is charming. Yeah, it was very Jeff Bridgesy. <laughs> yeah, he's um, the dude. He was a little too much fun, I think. And also, I wrote this this question. Is this movie about a person with integrity who looks bad and someone who looks bad but has no integrity and God? Because it seemed like Jeff Bridges' character just basically knew what was going on all the time and was just playing everybody. I I have a lot of criticism of this movie, some of which are like kind of plot holes or like stuff that didn't make sense. And some of it are more, let's say, thematic. I think that it was really, it was very entertaining. I was not bored throughout mm-hmm. it. And I think that... It was easy to follow. Yes. And I think that the acting was all great mm-hmm. across the board. Well, maybe not for some of the secondary characters. There were a lot of characters that just kind of didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything. So this is this came out during George W. Bush's first year? It was 2000. So mm-hmm. Clinton the, was the previous guy. When when did that happen? Yeah, so well, they, the election was The election would have been 2000. So, oh, so it would have been right before... Still president at this time? And that was oh, one of my first plot confusions. Well, well they what mentioned that she voted for his impeachment. He mentioned Clinton. right, yeah. And then when and it doesn't get brought up till about an hour into the movie, and I was like, wait, hold on a minute. <laughs> Jeff Bridges, I thought was supposed to be a Clinton analog, <laughs> and he's not. So what is go? What is happening here in the yeah. world of this movie? What year is I, this? He, it might have been an optimistic movie, assuming that that Bush wasn't going to be elected and that there would have been a Democrat in office post Clinton. Well, it also yeah. depends on what Because it would have been it would have been out? filmed pre two thousand. Right. If it came out but in he's playing a Clinton esque well, president. There's a reason there's a reason for that too, because part of the uh, inspiration for this movie was the Monica Lewinsky incident. Right. Well, that doesn't make that makes even less sense to me. What part Just of about it? salacious sex stories and whether or not they're relevant to politics? It's also yeah, and it's yeah, about but this movie this... says they're not relevant. But... Right, but so does she. She says the reason I voted for impeachment, the reason I'm not a hypocrite for not talking about my personal life yeah. when I voted for impeachment was because he should be held to the same standard as the military. I don't believe that the standard is correct, but because the military standard says if you have an affair, you are discharged. And he's the commander in chief, then he should be held to the same standard and he had an affair. I have even more complicated feelings about this movie now. (laughs) The other part of it is that Monica Lewinsky got raked over the coals. Right. right? And also she was not she was being uh, having sex with a supervisor who had a lot of power over her. And also she wasn't married. Right. Right. And he was. Yes. What Bill Clinton did was not hook up with some randos in college, and that's why he got in trouble. He's not she's not an analog to Clinton. She's an analog to Monica Lewinsky. Yes. She's being she's a, held... Oh. It's a double she's standard. She's being held to a different standard because she's a woman. Oh. Wow, and, that really complicates things <laughs> in a way I don't... I mean, that's why when the FBI agent is talking to Sam Elliott and she's like, I know this is inappropriate, but if you're thinking of withdrawing her nomination, don't. She's a sign of hope. She's a sign that there isn't a double standard. You know, like they just, they explicitly say it. They're not subtle about it. This okay. is the message of the film. Let me, let me list some other things that <laughs> confuse me. Uh, I was very confused by the fact that way into the movie, because I assumed, oh, this takes place in a imaginary world, but Jeff Bridges is playing a Clinton-like figure. And then later they bring up Clinton. And I'm like, so in this world, Clinton was the president. And now Jeff Bridges is the next guy who's yes. very much like Clinton, but also everyone else in 
Congress is not someone from the Clinton administration or well, I think the same whole time period. Is, he's he's I think we should say he's like Clinton in that he's charismatic and charming, not that he's, he's kind of dressed like him. He's too. married. They, he, do they show him having a wife? No, or? and yeah, he's not portrayed as sort of sleazeball. No, he's not. <laughs> he's he's just a powerful dynamic. Yes, sort of southern, but not really, and a little goofy. Yeah. Yes, but that yeah guy. I there were a couple points in this movie, and I'm. I realize I'm saying this to two two women, but I will say that I, Karen at least somewhat backed me up on this, which this movie very much felt like it was written by, by a man where there were dialogue or things that happened that didn't feel right. One of the things that I didn't feel good about was that Joan Allen, number one, is absolutely perfect and never backs down from anything, which is, you know, which she's, is a heavy hand. She's not the though. Joan Allen character. The Joan not Allen the, character. Not but she's no. not. And that's another thing we forgot to talk about. One of the things that comes up again during the confirmation hearings and similar to the other movie, they call a surprise witness, who is her current husband's ex-wife. And Played you f- by Mariel Hemingway, <laughs> who is the granddaughter of the Hemingway. Yes. And so you find out that um, Joan Allen's character was friends with this woman and her current husband was her campaign manager as she was running for Senate and they had an affair Uh and the way the wife found out about it was during election night, she saw them holding hands weirdly on television. (laughs) Their fingers were interlaced instead of just their hands clasped, the fingers were interlaced Mm -hmm. and then she was served with separation papers the same night. Right. Um, So this is supposed to make Joan Allen's character look like a homewrecker, Mm -hmm. you know, like a sexual deviant. And the president yells that at her at one point. (laughs) He's real mad about this and she's like, I, I, I didn't lie. They asked me if I had an affair, and I never did. I wasn't married. Like, it's not the same standard, you right. know? And she has that great line about Clinton that, you know, he wasn't guilty, but he was responsible. Um, yes. And Jeff Bridges turns around at the end of the movie and says, you know, she wasn't responsible, or William Peterson wasn't responsible, but he was guilty. And so. I, How is Clinton not guilty? Uh, not guilty of what, exactly? Well, I think the whole, the whole, I, mean, I think what he was but... brought up on charges was whether or not he had lied. Right. Obstru- it was well, perjury, perjury and obstruction. Right. And that's, that's what they were actually, whether or not, and those were the articles that were, but you know, was brought up on. those things. Depends on what is, is. Well, he was acquitted by a right. jury of his peers. <laughs> right. So and he's not party. guilty of it. <laughs> he was acquitted by the members of his party. Yeah. Well, and it's... on the other side. Yeah. It's a comp, that one's complicated, but. I thought yeah. it was the either the Senate acquitted him and the and Congress found him guilty or the other yeah, way. Yeah, something like that. We have so, to look so it up. The House drew up the articles of impeachment and the Senate did not convict. That's there it is. That oh, but they right. were split. That was it. They were split between there were two charges and some of them voted that he was guilty of one charge but not the other and some of them voted that he was guilty of the other, other charge, charge but not, not the, the other so he was found guilty of none of the charges and and at the very end of the day they decided it wasn't enough for removal from office that right. the charges weren't serious enough which is all relevant to the current, current day. political yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all yeah it's what? we're going to see this all play out again let me pitch this idea from the contender uh Joan Allen is generally speaking except for her mild home wrecking or however you want to <laughs> phrase that thing is a martyr she is she is very she will not break down on her principles under any circumstances she will not tell anybody she has basically her ambition will never beat out her principles ah. so the president <laughs> nominates her uh 
then she withdraws, but thanks to the president, she is now the vice president. She basically, my one of my problems was she is a very inactive member of part of this movie, and she's the only meaningful like female character because basically what happens is the president nominates her and then the president makes sure she gets that nomination through his machinations and nothing she does matters and in fact she does she has principles she never uh cops anything or fights anything although the president would like her to but it doesn't matter whether she does or not i mean i think you have to really discount her entire demeanor during the confirmation hearings that doesn't matter she withdraws like, the fact that she never breaks her principles leads to her losing, and the president then kind of makes her win. But why does that make her weak? I don't understand. Because she never does anything to change the events of what's going on. And in fact, the other, the other thing that happens that leads to her becoming the vice president is the other nominee is a murder. But like, but you're thinking, so your position is that her ambition should trump her principles and that would make her more feminist? I My position is that... To be an active protagonist, the things that she decides to do in the movie need to have an impact on the story. And the stuff that actually leads to her becoming the vice president is mostly what the president does and the evils of the other people. I think it depends on what you want the victory to be. And for my part, I want the victory to be that a person can stick to their principles. That is a victory to me. And... She does that regardless of the outcome, which is basically what she said. Principles only mean something when you stick to them when they're inconvenient. It would be inconvenient for me not to become... It's worse than inconvenient, Mm -hmm. but it would be unfortunate if I wasn't the vice president due to no fault of my own. True. But I am not going to sacrifice my principles to become the vice president. Yeah, I I agree. Because for me, the victory isn't whether or not she's confirmed and we break the glass ceiling. The victory is whether or not the double standard still exists. And she refuses to tolerate that the double standard is acceptable because for her, we find out that she didn't do this, but she could have very well done it and it still shouldn't have been relevant. And someone else in the future could have this salacious background and it shouldn't be relevant and it shouldn't disqualify them. So her even entertaining the idea that it's relevant diminishes all future women. And that is a less feminist movement movie for me than this one. I guess the thing that the thing that rubbed me the wrong way is that one of the the way I I took the lesson of this movie is basically if you are a woman or somebody who doesn't have access to a lot of power that the key to getting power is to never break back down in your principles and hope that somebody else who's really good kind of helps you up because well, be, having your principles will cause you to never get the position of power i see what you're saying <laughs> and i think it would have been a more satisfying movie for you yeah if sure the president hadn't stepped in and made it happen anyway because in that case her actions would have resulted in whatever her hit future was what you're right. saying is i also she, find it a little unrealistic to my real life but that's just pessimism right but at, that's at i mean work. we're talking that's why I keep using the word Capra-esque. It's an unrealistic yeah, right. <laughs> depiction of right and wrong and good and bad. But I like the idea that a person sure. can be principled and never never stop being a principled person. Yeah, I uh, agree with that. In order to get ahead. She did that. He, and I understand, I see I, what you're saying. You're saying then it all boiled down to some man, some powerful man let me, work, making it work for her. <laughs> let me pitch a slightly different 
movie that I would have liked better, which okay. is she sticks to her principles, but finds a way within her sticking to her principles to also get one over on Gary Oldman herself. That's true. She that would have been she didn't worry. made it's me not, feel better. The problem is that it's not her job to be crafty. Her job isn't to do the politics in the background. That's not the nominee's job. The nominee's job is to, to just answer their themselves. questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, right. And I think that had her character been written, which I always hate in TV shows and movies, um, when powerful women are written cold Yeah, and I don't bitchy, like that either. That and sucks. she wasn't that no. way. She was just, but it was very clear that she was a powerful woman, that she mm-hmm. had accomplished a lot. Her husband was deferential to her, but not in a like pussy whipped kind of husband way. Her father, who was a former governor... Um, clearly had a lot of respect for her and her accomplishments, yeah. even if he didn't agree that she was a Democrat now and maybe that the, kind of thing. Maybe what I would have liked to have seen, or maybe would have made me feel more comfortable about it, is to have seen have a little more time spent on seeing why the president thought she was such a good nominee. Yeah, that wasn't covered. See enough. why, like, oh, when she was a senator, as a senator, she's been really great, and she never backs down. And that look at how great she's but been I as think a senator. The movie- sort of touches on that a little bit during that interview where every time she tries to talk about her qualifications, right, it doesn't, all they want to talk about cares. is the salacious stuff. And she's like, this isn't fair. You, yeah. During a normal hearing, you would be bashing on me on my policies that you don't like. Right. And instead, you're trying to bring up my sex life because it makes me look like a whore. Yeah. I also, this is not a problem with this movie specifically. It is very hard for me to get into politics movies from this era because i don't see politics right now in the same world (laughs) like even even this discussion it's like well we just nominated for with a lot of sexist stuff going back gina haspel and it was not an issue of her sexual improprieties but there's a lot of weird sexist stuff that ended up being going both ways to try and get that like the confirmation right. here like it's just not the political world that no, i see it's right definitely now. dated it's a clearly dated yeah. movie but that's but not that's not the movie that's not the movie, yeah. <laughs> that still makes me like like it less but yeah not, and not for that era well. i think it was well done and yeah again i don't mind movies that are sort of <laughs> yeah <laughs> encompass what kind they of feel are. Right. And the director yeah. of this movie does one of my other favorite like heavy-handed over-the-top little-known movies the last castle with robert redford I've but i'm like it. a sucker for Robert Redford movies anyway. Sure. Um, but yes, it's great. You guys should see it. It's Robert Redford. Um, oh, what's the guy who was Tony Soprano? Oh, Gandolfini. Uh, Gandolfini. Is mm-hmm. in it. Um, Mark Ruffalo's in it. Oh, I love Mark There's, Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, I forgot that guy's in it. I forgot <laughs> that guy's in it. Yeah. Um, but it's about a military prison. And uh, anyway, it's mm-hmm. good. Watch movie. It. Go good watch movie it. to go watch. <laughs> it's the same sort of like, you're like, okay, this is real over the top. They're yeah. hammering in this movie what you're supposed to get out of it. You know, I have one movies, other. They're kind of like being on a ride, and yes. you know what to. You can see the you can see the big drop coming, but and they if they do it right, it's like that was great. I knew exactly what was going to yeah. happen, and it happened exactly the way that I thought it would. And it's very like that West Wing TV show idealism yeah, that like had its music. time and place yeah. before I became cynical and the whole world was on yeah, fire. Yeah, that's right. And like it's it's reminiscent of that, <laughs> right? And I kind of miss that. Yes, right. It's and kinda, I need that I, every once in a while. I can't think that about the government right now. No, it, and it's sad. And no. I did think that about the government like two years ago. See, so, now I look at these movies and I'm like, oh, it was never like that. <laughs> no, like, it no, sucks no. now and it sucked then. That's right. Uh, oh, I have another I have another problem with this movie, but much more minor. Okay. Uh, they shouldn't have had that last scene with her in the present. She should never have explained what I really happened. I kind of like the idea that, it wa- that it, she did do that. I think that would have been a more interesting movie where she's like, yeah, 
Like, who cares? Oh, that's, yeah. That's what yeah, I did. that she had actually committed yeah. those acts. I would have preferred she either committed them or they just never talked about it. The yeah. fact that she was like, it oh, actually, it wasn't real. I just <laughs> yeah. didn't tell anyone. I was like, I wonder oh, if maybe that was one of those. I mean, that was a weird scene anyway. Maybe yeah, it was, it was one of those. And we weird. showed it to audiences and they needed to they know needed the answer. Know, but it was stupid. Which, by the way, is sexist in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, that like, is. She has yeah. to be redeemable to the audience right, in that like, she wasn't actually. That's gross, so she needs to say it really didn't happen, yeah. even if no one knows. And I was like, no, you don't. Oh, movies. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's my, that I will give you. Yeah. That I could have, that, I would have found it a smarter me, movie but if like, she actually had been involved in that, or it was ambiguous. And it was also, that scene was filmed in a creep, that was framed in a creepy way. Twice. Like, <laughs> kind of a romantic scene with her and Jeff Bridges of like, no, this is not, this isn't good. Oh, I meant the flashbacks to... The orgy oh, scene. Also, yeah, also bad. That also, happened twice and were seemed unnecessary to me. So this there's this there's a scene where the Washington Post is publishing the the an article about that the FBI the, rumors. The uh, orgy. Yeah, but it's about yeah. the FBI But they use a picture from the orgy and I just yeah. I, don't I don't think, think the Washington Post would have published a Front picture page. of a, of a woman having, having oral sex. sex with a man. Yeah. That doesn't sound like the Washington Post to me. But. Well, I think there were clearly multiple pictures from different angles, so it might have been a more obscure one. Even still, that seems... No, I... I, I surprising. <laughs> also, that scene was filmed at the Washington Post. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there... I had some issues. I mean, I love Jeff Bridges and Joan Allen, and I like Gary Oldman as an actor, <laughs> not as a person, and Sam Elliott is awesome. Um, that's just some stuff. Just some stuff in that movie. But yeah, I mean, it's stuff that I expect from a movie that's 18 <laughs> years old. Sure. It's nothing surprising. Yeah, that's, it's, it's pretty old. It's a little older than we should actually be watching. For, for... <laughs> also, that guy really didn't need to have murdered the, or accidentally murdered that car. But then girl. how else would you get one over on Gary Oldman? I know, the getting one over on Gary Oldman part doesn't actually make also, sense. Also, I mean, he could have saved her and it would have still been a bad. So bad. Right. Yeah. But I think, they, but they need, they that, they need that as an excuse for Chappaquiddick. To make it a comparison, otherwise he's the nominee all yeah, the, but time, they the whole time. It to Chappaquiddick, do you think they knew? Even I, I don't that... think that the president knew, but I think the president was like, "Oh, this guy." The way I read that was the president was like, "This is no, this guy sucks." No, I don't think they knew that he did it, but I think it's. I don't think it's a secret that all Republicans have always said that Kennedy's a murderer. No, I think that they like, must have had suspicions because why would they send the agent to investigate this thing unless they were like, "Oh, this guy's mm. not on the up and up." Interesting. Oh, so we didn't talk about the scene where, which happens very early on, when he first loses the vice, the nominee. The president first tells him, you're not going to be the vice presidential nominee. And he goes home to his wife, who swears up a storm. No, just chews him out and swears at him. I've seen rules. Yes. And from my perspective, what they later, you know, in retrospect, what they were showing was that he had an ambitious wife. He probably had the same level of ambition, and that explains why he would go to such lengths to get the vice presidential nomination. I mean, he's, he's nomination. exactly the opposite of Joan Allen's character. Yes. He has ambition over principles, right. mm-hmm. down to accidental murder. There was a scene, there really, or I think maybe the first scene I thought was really weird, just as a side note, where they, after he saves, what's his face, saves the woman in the car, or doesn't save the woman in the car, but tries to, mm-hmm. somebody, or maybe it's during that scene where the reporter's interviewing him about, his political ambitions and what he would die for and he's and they're like oh well you know you we know you're anti-abortion and you support a flat tax and he's like yeah i guess i was like wow that's a really (laughs) weird combination of like liberal ish 
Well, he's and, a Democrat from Virginia. Yeah, and but then later they bring up flat taxes again. It was with no, the but president. that was a huge thing in the 2000s. I you know, don't remember so that? Weird, but oh yeah, the flat tax like, was. What? I mean, it's still among libertarians, like super obsessed over. That's so dumb. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is dumb. It brought that up and I was like, wait a minute. Hold I think on you forget second. how huge that was during the election. Yeah. 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 It was, I just, it was that, an actual that platform. Caught me off, yeah, <laughs> yeah, caught me flat footed. I'm like, wait, well, hold on a minute. But I thought, like, again, with how black and white everything is in this mm-hmm. movie, there's good guys and bad guys. And they even mention that the only reason that um, this stuff is coming out about Joan Allen, it's not that they didn't know about it. It's... It's that the FBI won't even go there because it's, it's not relevant. You know what I mean? So when they were yeah. doing their own research on her, that they is, were just like, this is how low Gary Oldman's character is sinking. Is that it's just like, surprising. nobody should be going here. Like they really make it explicit in the movie that he is the bad guy. It's mm-hmm. interesting that like, you know, she's a sitting senator. This stuff has never come up. For, but, no other opponent has ever brought this But it's clearly known because it's known in the small town like where yeah she went right to a bunch of people so know. it isn't that it's not known it's that nobody has ever decided to be no one crass. would stoop that low right. <laughs> not in congress yeah <laughs> it sounds so funny to say that now yeah i think it's kind of interesting that between the two movies the 2000 movie the older the newer movie the characters are very black and white these ones are good these ones are bad and in the older movie it was very ambiguous. Yeah. There was one bad guy. I think they have to be more nuanced in the other movie because they're all the same party. And they're all the same person. Yeah. And you can't tell them apart. <laughs> they're all just that white dude. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, neither of these movies had any... Well, this movie had no people of color in it. The other movie... There was a Hawaiian guy There was guy a Hawaiian who, guy and... An Indian senator from Hawaii. Indian ambassador. And the Indian ambassador who... He's from the inscrutable I, East, they gosh. say. So he was like, he was explaining something. Yeah. And it was very. uh, It was about how they they like the idea of this Secretary of State. Yeah. Except when they don't. Except when they don't, yeah. And so we we see this uh, Indian ambassador speaking, and then immediately after he stops talking, the guy to his left starts making racist comments. Yes. Which I don't think they thought were racist. Not at the time time. they thought so, but. Uh, And then there also was the senator from New Mexico. Yes, who I don't even remember him being in the movie, but I was looking at my phone. He was sitting next to the senator from Hawaii. So during the hearings, there was like the chairman, somebody was sitting to his right, and Mm -hmm. then to his right was the senator from Hawaii, and to his right was the senator from New Mexico. Neither of whom are played by white actors. No. Just say that. Uh, Which is nice. played by uh, the Hawaiian actor's name, I think, is Tiki Abraham. Tiki Mm -hmm. is a nickname. That's not his actual name. But it was in the credits, at least. Yeah. Um, but the contender, as white as a movie can be. That's yeah. I was trying to think if there's even like a page. There were any other. There were some. There were some black servants who brought food but to like, the president and had no. But lines. nobody with a speaking role. Yeah. Nope, not a one. Hmm. Um, I think it passes the Bechdel test because Joan Allen talks to the woman who says uh, Gary Oldman had. Unless you consider an abortion. them talking about her husband is not passing. The oh, Bechdel you're test. right. It doesn't. Hmm. That doesn't test, test the <laughs> test. Sorry. Yes, they were talking about a man. Yeah, nothing. Got nothing. Yeah, neither movie passed any tests. Also, I'm not entirely sure her character had a name either. I think she was just the wife of Gary Oldman. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, a contender is just as white as it can be. Yay. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, but one of these two movies had gay people in it. That's pretty rare. 
That's <laughs> And one of them was defined by something <laughs> other than being gay. He was also a senator. He wasn't gay, though. No, I guess it. not. I mean, they tried. He they, might have been. Yeah. It's never. It's not clear what's, not, what's going on for him. Yeah, they ne- well, because they can never say any of the words out loud, so they can never really tell <laughs> yeah, us <laughs> what the situation is. That's right. Hmm. Oh, hmm. and that's why you don't see the suicide also, because that can't be on. That doesn't. That, that didn't surprise I mean, me. Otto Preminger really pushed a lot of the boundaries with no that kidding. movie, and uh, but he couldn't put them in bed together. They still oh, had twin beds. The, the, the husband and wife. Husband and wife slept in separate beds. Maybe he's gay. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe it's just more comfortable for him. <laughs> Things didn't get very far in fifty years. More we'll of a female president someday. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Unless we're all handmaids <laughs> by then. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Boy. Should we talk about? I was gonna say, what can we talk about? Modern Current confirmation here is really well, I mean, depressing. We have uh, internment camps now. Yeah, for children. Uh huh. What is it? What of what day is it? Six fifteen or six nineteen? It's the sixteenth Saturday before Father's Day. Okay, yeah, June sixteenth, uh, twenty eighteen. We have child internment camps, and it's, oh, and Paul Manafort just went to jail. That's right. Yesterday. Yeah. So he's in jail now. That's but proof also, for witness tampering. Alleged witness tampering. Pretty sure. Pretty no, clear I mean, witness tampering. <laughs> uh, and also a bunch of children are in jail. And also, basically, our president is going to go through the same sort of trial that Clinton did. Uh, yeah. He's being with the Stormy Daniels. The difference of what? No, uh, defamation of character, which is actually, I guess, what Paula Jones accused Clinton of. Yeah. And at that trial, he lied about his relationship with Monica Lewinsky, which is how he ended up right where he did. He perjured himself. Jacob mentioned opening arguments in a previous plug, but Mm -hmm. definitely, if you want some very accessible legal analysis, and you're you don't come from the legal world, and it's that's the best way to go. It's a great podcast for explaining what the legal issues are, how they are different from the Lewinsky issues. Um, yeah. Also yeah. very valuable to listen to that podcast because it clarifies where the reporting on this mm-hmm. is wrong. Yes. <laughs> so you will get information about what's going on and why it's meaningful in a much better way. And they talk about other things too. They don't mm-hmm. just talk about what's going on with the president and the Russia investigation. All the Supreme Court decisions. Yeah. All of it. And the implications. Yeah. They're they're current events. Yeah. It's excellent. It's a a lawyer and another guy. And And his friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And a lay person. (laughs) That's right. Very good podcast. Listen to that. Yep. Uh, Another podcast I listen to. I guess we're doing plugs now. Let's do some podcast (laughs) plugs. I mean, unless you want to talk about North Korea. (sighs) Who knows? But I don't know what's (laughs) happening with that yet. Nothing. (laughs) I mean, here's one thing. I read the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times. Wow, you're reading a lot. What a <laughs> well, waste of time. <laughs> the reporting that they they do is so frustrating. Oh, so yeah. the president came back from North North Korea, and he said, you know, we're not at risk for being bombed. Best agreement ever. And that was the, you know, it's the thing where he said, you know, you can sleep, you can sleep easy tonight. The fact is, he was, that was true. That day, I don't think North Korea was going to bomb us that day. That's that night, right. you we're... could totally sleep easy. We, we're going to be fine until we're not again. But for right now, I don't think North Korea is going to bomb us. So, you know, just give him, you know, don't. Get one day off. Just, yeah. <sighs> just say, yep, I guess the president's right that for today, we're not going to get bombed. He didn't lie this one time. Yeah. I mean, most of the time. Things he says are not very accurate, but not very accurate is a huge <laughs> understatement. Yeah, he lies a lot. 
The whole the whole trip is a boondoggle and yeah. Google it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to plug, I believe I've plugged this podcast before, but they had a really good episode. Uh, it's called Citations Needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did an episode last week about civility in the press, which is about, specifically about the mainstream, let's say mainstream media. I hate using that phrase, mm-hmm. but the large press media and this how they got to the point where they value civility and decorum and how that has warped things so they talk a little bit about this um how excited the media is about john mccain even though his voting record is bad (laughs) but he is treated like it's very good because he's very polite except for all the times that he's not been or he's said racial slurs or whatever he's all the bad stuff he's done um they also talk about a few specific media outlets who use coded language for they use the term racially charged instead of racist Racist. they kind of go through the roseanne uh where roseanne tweeted out some very racist stuff and which media outlets would say this was racist and which ones would use the term racially charged as a euphemism um, and also, which media outlets would use the word lie for Trump? Mm-hmm. They break down how NPR defines uh, what a lie is and what is not, which is they would only consider something a lie if the person speaking it intends to deceive the listener. And because they don't, they can never say for sure what Trump intends by his statement. Because he might be too stupid. To be deceiving? Is that what their position well, is? Well, they don't. They didn't explain, but basically said we can't say anything that Trump says is a lie because we don't know whether he means it's tr- he believes it's true or not. Which is another way to say there's literally nothing anyone could ever say is a lie unless they said it and then later off the on a different on the but record. But he does statement. do that. He says that all the time. Oh, I, I, I yeah. That, but that's that later. Really they don't true. go back and correct it. <sighs> so anytime he says something new, they're like, well, he said some factually inaccurate statements or whatever their euphemism is. It's very depressing, but it is good to hear somebody kind of lay out like, here's some watchwords to look out for when you're reading. Here's some people who the media really loves who don't actually have done the actions to back up what they're saying. Right now, there's a lot of Jeff Flake posts on on Twitter about how sad he is about the current state of politics, but he doesn't actually do anything. And there's a lot of things he could easily do without any effort on his part, but he doesn't want to. Correct. Yeah, so that's a good podcast. That's a good episode of that podcast. Go listen to that. I don't know if we should mention that Sarah Huckabee Sanders stepped down. Yeah. Did she step down? She we said, don't know. I thought she said she was leaving at the end of the year. Right, right. She's, she's leaving is right. what I mean. Like, I don't think she'll last till she the end of the year. But. but it was really funny because, you know, like a day earlier when the rumors were swirling, she was saying... Oh, there are no personnel changes mm-hmm. planned. And then a day later, it's like, oh, I'm Peace. actually. I'm, I'm actually. out of here. <laughs> That's how you know there are. Is when they start <laughs> denying there's going to be. Yeah. But yeah, when it comes to that lying thing and the press maintaining civility, that's one of my big pet peeves, particularly around this internment issue where the administration is constantly referring to an imaginary law that says they have to separate the parent from yeah, the child. Yeah, the Democrats have passed Somehow, this law. And, yeah, and, somehow caused by the Democrats. But no, but literally zero follow-up from the media on any question where they just say, should say, what law? Just ask them, sure. what law are you citing? Because they don't. There's no follow-up questions. They just, 
ask the question, get the answer, and then stenography report it. And that's not their job. Sorry. Their job should be to be pushing back that's and not, say, I mean, what law are you citing? And no, they don't. I, I'm not disagreeing that they should be pushing back in the room, but that is not, I mean, they are not just writing down what you said. They are saying that there is no such law. There's plenty it's of factually right. inaccurate. But what I'm saying so is in the room, like, and Trump just gave a press conference the other day where he said the same thing and nobody pushed back and was like, because what law are you people, citing? That was the one in the Rose Garden? Yeah. The only people there were like Fox News. Right. But goons. Back. But it's not great. It's not great because they keep reporting <laughs> the same thing over and over again. And it's just. It would be great. Make if they them could... go on the record with what made up law this is. It would be really great if they got uh, all the senators to get on the record about whether they support this or not. Yeah. Because well, a lot of those interview questions end up being like, hey, Senator Ryan, what do you feel about yeah. this thing? And he's like, I don't know about it. I've never heard of it. No, no. He said that about Scott Pruitt. <laughs> yeah, right. He was even more weaselly <laughs> about the internment thing where he said, I'm not comfortable with the idea that kids are being separated from their families. However, I'm not going to question the president about it. Yeah. So he tried to have it both ways. Mm. Of course he did. <laughs> and there's no, there's never going to be any follow up on that. No. Uh, my, you know, my fear, one of my thousand fears, one of them down at the less scared end of this is that any of this stuff gets repaired and a bunch of the Republican senators say, well, I was never in favor of it. I was never on the record saying right. I liked it. No, so you're right. They need they to are gonna down repair to their, they're going to back out of what they happen, what well, happened. Well, I mean, I think that the Republican party is just, oh, they're in trouble. Damaged beyond repair. Yeah. I don't think they're coming back as as, as, as anything they are. Re- re- rational. I mean, I like to think that that's true, but I just feel like I keep getting more and more disappointed. Well, that's not a good thing. No. I mean, no. they're not going to come back and be a rational party. We're going to have to be fighting these I mean, the Nazi party, white supremacists. Uh, oh, I thought you meant like they were done and they were going to get voted out. Sorry, I misinterpreted. No, <laughs> your no they will get voted out. Some of them replaced by Nazis. Right. Yes. Yes. I hope they get voted out. I hope we see more... Democrats than Republicans in November. However, the Republican Party itself is self-imploding and becoming a monster. Yes. Yeah. Which, by the way, people have been warning about for quite uh, the Republicans a while now. have been warning about. But it. Even, but anytime any de- Democrats said, "By the way, you're becoming more and more extreme and more and more conservative," they were, you know, chastised as being hyperbolic and mm-hmm. chicken little and. You know, you just want to demonize everybody on the other side. Like, no, but this is but exactly where this is exactly where we said the party was going. That's and it of, did. I mean, that is part of. I don't think I'm going insane, but it <laughs> sure seems like we have people who are called liberals, who I'm, I'm not a Democrat, and I'm never going to be a registered Democrat. But I vote Democrat most of the time. I am a liberal, and. I know there's this thing. Nope, I don't know that. It's that whole equivocal, you know. <laughs> false equivalency. Yeah, it's false really hard. Where I'm supposed to try to give some credit to the other side, but they are so yeah, I far think that's gone, gone, it's impossible. With internment camps in existence, I don't think you can give any, yeah. there's no more credit to be given. And I think personally, I used to try and give credit because the personal Republicans I knew yeah. Didn't support these things. Sure. And I can no longer extend that courtesy well, to also, the party based on I mean, my if you just, I did, one-on-one I've experience. I've done that too. But then when I look back at through time to the Republican administrations that we've had, they've all done terrible things. Yep. It was never really true that these aren't equal things. There's one party that ha- that respects people in general. <laughs> and uh, Even that's... A, that's Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the things that the Democrat Party try, has tried to do 
yeah. has tried to make policy around has been about <laughs> uh, helping people, at least. Uh, poor In people theory. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The things that the Republicans do actively hurt people, and they yeah. don't care. And it's not even right. like you can say you or your policies hurt people, and they're like, well, they deserve it because they're poor. Right. And it's the like, Bible told uh, us to do so. Ugh, the Bible. <laughs> Jeff Sessions and yeah. the Bible. Yeah. Um, I saw a comment somewhere that said that was the same quote, the quote that Jeff, Sef- Jeff Sessions used from, I think it was Paul. Romans. Romans 13. Romans? Oh, all right. That they used to justify slavery. That, yeah, it's mm-hmm. the same quote used to justify slavery. And, and my immediate thought was, yeah, but he, he yeah, but he's believes into that. in slavery. <laughs> yeah, if but he's he cool with slavery, that. <laughs> he'd be happy with that. That's what the South has wanted all along. They had economic prosperity because they had free, they had labor that they enslaved. Yeah, free in a monetary (laughs) sense. Yes, in a monetary sense. They had people that had to work for them for free. Yes, under penalty of death. Under penalty of death. Uh And that enabled their economy. And when they lost that horrible thing they shouldn't have had, their economy didn't work out quite as easily for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why they're all right to work states and oppose minimum wage increases because it's as close as you can get to modern day slavery. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I really, really hope, I'm going to be optimistic and say I really hope that the Democrats put forward a lot of candidates who do not, who support the opposite of all these things I don't like. I mean, I think you were saying this, gosh, I hope you were saying this early on a podcast. It might have been a personal conversation <laughs> we had. It could be. Um, about the um, mistake that Democrats do in that they try to appeal to moderates and seem reasonable and that they are always going to be portrayed as fringe positions so why not just swing for the fences and be as liberal as possible and go for those positions um, if they're going to be accused of them anyway like go for universal health care go for free college tuition go for all these things that are going to be socialist sounding positions if they're just going to be accused of being socialists anyway and but in concert with that they have to make sure that they get more people registered to vote. Yes. Because no matter what, more people registered yeah. to vote is going to swing left. And also have to be able to prevent uh, disenfranchisement, right. which is running wild and right our now. Supreme I mean, Court is clearly not going to... No. Uh, what was that, Ohio, that they no. just decided they could purge all the voter rolls? Nah. Yeah. There, there are conditions, like if someone hasn't voted in two consecutive elections... If people are young or poor <laughs> or not an old white person yeah. they can vote less often people who can get to the polls and vote they can stay on the rolls and people who are poor and maybe can't get to the polls and vote all the time yeah. because they have to work and they have to go the time right. that they're allowed hoops. to vote right. is not a time that they can actually go vote it's not they have to go through extra hopes, hoops to vote and also have to rely on their state government to notify them and do all the work Correct. even though the state government is well, for the opposing party and doesn't to want them to actually vote. get them off the Yeah, that's right. They have to jump through hoops and also force their way in and file lawsuits. But on an, a positive stuff. note, the gerrymandering cases that have been going before courts seem to be Those are working. Working <laughs> in terms of getting yes. rid of gerrymandering. I read an article, I'll try and figure out where it was from because I don't remember, but it was about identity politics in the Democratic Party. It's very depressing, um, but it was basically Talking about how the older, more powerful members of the Democratic Party, um, especially after, right after Trump got elected, took this stance of like, we need more women and we need more people of color to vote or no, to run for office. And then time and time again, those same 
powerful members of the party do not support the candidates who have run under this and in fact will go support white old white men who take very moderate or right-leaning positions um the new one is probably howard schultz our seattle favorite who had said specifically like well the biggest problem in the democratic party right now is there's all these leftist people who have all these policies that'll never get voted in um and we need to move away from that if we want to get votes which is funny because none of those policies actually are implemented and none of those people it's so weird that he can live in seattle and not (laughs) see like the community around him and how poorly that stance yeah right that's especially when in terms of business people he's fairly um progressive and mm-hmm. an early adapter of healthcare for all his employees right you know like this was a very important pet issue to him so to have that sort of really liberal leaning on that specific <laughs> policy and then not understand how that people want it yeah <laughs> why that was popular <laughs> the other reason that's not forward looking is because millennials are increasingly becoming a large part of the voting population yeah and they are the the left-leaning ones are more progressive because they've lived in a world that was more progressive than what the baby boomers did right yeah well and also they need they would benefit from those services right. a lot more it. that uh younger people need health care because their their companies no longer provide it yeah there's one reason you know, it's not like they're more, they're not sicker than the older generation. They just well, they have are, less access because, to. yeah, they have less access to health care. So right. there's less preventative care. So they are getting sick. They need free public education because they it's can't very expensive <laughs> and they can't afford it. Yeah. 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 That's right. And, and minimum wage hasn't kept up with inflation. Yeah. Um, or productivity. I mean, that's, that's crazy here in Seattle uh, because all the head tax stuff. Um, if we, I, we have listeners not in, Washington, right? I hope so. Hey, hey, what's up? The rest of the state countries. Uh, our city council, with very strong pushing from our new mayor, uh, passed a tax on businesses per employee with a way to build large up large businesses. Large businesses. They had to have an income of over $20 million per year. Amazon was very upset and even did some, I would say, pretty shady stuff to fight it. It wasn't just Amazon. I think Google was part of that too. Oh, yeah. But I remember and Amazon was the one. Where they said, oh, we're shutting down our construction of our new Which building. was really funny because, like, they definitely were already so far <laughs> into it. Yeah, it doesn't make it any sense. It would never be so uh, They passed the head tax. Then they, but they had to reduce it. The, so the compromise that came out of the mayor's office was to cut it in half down to yeah. 250 ahead. And the money is specifically tagged for homeless uh, relief. And then they just recently repealed the head tax, mm-hmm. like, Two weeks after it was passed? Three yeah. weeks? Under pressure from those same companies. Yeah. It's been wild watching this just going to just... Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Oh, here's a compromise. People are mad at the compromise. And then compromise gets repealed. Everybody looks just... Everybody's just getting raked over the coals for it. It's crazy. There is another tax that uh, there's people are petitioning for outside of grocery stores in particular, and they were at the Folklife Festivals well mm-hmm. when we were there. Oh, I saw They're this. They're calling it a grocery tax Yeah. and getting people to sign. There's not a grocery tax pending. No, saying to sign to get rid of it, right. I believe. to not allow the grocery tax yeah, to be... Yeah, I saw be, people doing yeah, that, yeah, yeah. But it's not a grocery tax. It's a tax on, I believe, soda. Oh, the soda tax. Okay. Yeah, repeal yes. the soda tax. It's but a sugar the, tax. But the people... It's a tax on added sugars. Right, but the people trying to get signatures to prevent it 
are telling mm-hmm. people telling shoppers going into grocery stores that it is a grocery <sighs> tax and it says grocery tax in big letters on the front of the petition yeah yeah and i guess it's coca-cola and nestle are behind Surprise. the petition yeah there's a lot of wild tax stuff happening because seattle's homeless uh, population is exploding. I think it might be the largest. Yeah, I think we might have um, surpassed San Francisco. And our state is still struggling to provide education funding <laughs> pending a Supreme Court decision. I think we finally just stopped getting fined. I think we're finally oh, like, we in accordance. Yeah. <laughs> like one bajillion dollar fine yeah. uh, because they were not providing ad- adequate money for education. Yay, current events. <laughs> yeah, current events suck right now. It's very bad. <laughs> and it's not going to stop either. It's, it's going to no. keep being this way. Um, I was going to, I'm going to recommend tentatively sure. a podcast called Skullduggery, which is okay. a little bit similar to Open Arguments, except that instead of lawyers, it's journalists. Hmm. They work for Yahoo News. Um, and the reason that I came across it is because they did a, they did a very recent episode where they talked about the Monica Lewinsky Mm. trial as it compares to the Stormy Daniels uh, stuff that's going on and they had as their guest Kevin Starr who was the special prosecutor Kenneth Starr Starr, sorry the special uh, counsel I I knew that just from being a little kid and that name stuck me I couldn't have told you Kevin to his friends (laughs) so he basically was the Robert Mueller of the Clinton scandal okay um, so that was really informative. Hmm. That um, is interesting. They most recently spoke to someone who worked in the Obama administration about, um, you know, there's a the recent thing where the Trump administration is collecting information about journalists. Mm-hmm. And so they talked about some big cases that went down in the Obama era that were very controversial about, you know, basically harassing journalists mm-hmm. uh, with regard to leaks. Boy, things have changed during the time we've or recorded not. this po- oh, yeah. this podcast. I was thinking about however many months ago I kept recommending The Way of the Knife, which was about drone strikes and like the CIA's wars under Bush and Obama. And that just seems so... Novel? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this stuff was really terrible and that book was really good, but like, boy, it's just... Now there's internment camps. Yeah, it's so yeah. small potatoes now. <laughs> the, the other podcast I'm going to recommend is like a 10... It's like a mini-series, although I think he's going to do another season mm-hmm. of it. It's called The Mattachine Podcast, and it is about the development of... This, this is how I describe it. It's not how it yeah. describes itself, but it is about the development of the gay rights movement starting in 1924 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it's like, I think there's 10 episodes, and he goes into pretty great detail about parts of history mm-hmm. much like you know the history of slavery and african americans we don't have gay history yeah in, you know nobody teaches us gay history and this is right he goes into depth about this society and what was actually being done to gay people some of the language that was used by our government to describe them um, that's not good stuff that but. reminds me of something uh so this past week was the E3, which is the big video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to describe Convention. it. Expo, yeah. Um, and one of the big things this year, um, many of the big major... This is where a lot of the major video game publishers will show off. Oh, in the next couple of years, here's what we're working on. Here's the big stuff to get excited about. It's kind of like movie trailers, for, but they do it all kind of at once because there's not a movie trailer. <laughs> you can't show movie trailers before a video game. 
Um, and one of the things was that a lot of the big A published, triple A publishers this year showed char- showed gay characters. Um, there were a lot of lesbian characters for whatever reason. Like three of the major publishers, all their ba- their big games, each one had a lesbian relationship. One of them was the big Assassin's Creed franchise, which is this like historical mm-hmm. action game and and a was, very bad movie and a very bad movie. Uh, and then the next one, for the first time, you get to pick the gender of your character you're playing as, which you've never done before, and you can pick to be. Oh, and there's a romantic relationship. So you could be a male character with a male hmm. um, romantic interest. And watching some people get very upset of like, <laughs> this is so historically inaccurate because there it was no a religious time in Greece. And then having seen people respond to that being like, in Greece? You don't like, know history. Wait a minute. Hold on, dude. You, you're totally misunderstanding because they're like, well, you know, Greece was a christian nation and <laughs> therefore they hated gay people and there would have been homosexuals and people were like no 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 that's you totally do not understand could <laughs> you like read a history book? yeah like you. you could look literally anywhere and just figure out that that's not true I, I was speaking of history i was telling jacob this morning i was reading a post to the indivisible east side uh, oh boy site yeah this is uh, a real it was crummy some, it was a it was a man and he was you know he his question that his big question was why is trump doing this with these children it doesn't it's not a republican sort of policy it doesn't it doesn't decrease taxes it isn't you know this guy misunderstands oh the republican right. platform he, but sure and he also misunderstands trump right so <laughs> yeah. he, he went on and on about that for a while he wanted somebody to say why are they doing this you know yeah great but you're his, not gonna like the answer the last part of it was and putting this in a historical context did we take you know did we take children away from the slaves because if we didn't do that then this is worse than slavery god all i could think was we need to teach things in school this is a this is such a huge part of our history it's the thing that makes it is the reason that our country is the way that it is is that we did this terrible thing and we're we are forever going to deal with the well i mean we did this we did a terrible thing we keep doing it. We haven't stopped doing it. We're right. just doing it a little more secretly. We're doing or it in we different ways. Until last year, yeah. Um, we, you know, it's this is just this horrible cancer on our country. And, and I assume people, that guy's five years old who was posting. He looked like a middle-aged man to me yeah. in his profile picture. And maybe he was. I don't know. No, he's an idiot. That was, the, I mean, yeah, that was not to his defense or anything. But the textbook industry is notorious okay. for sure. You know, well, no, for sure. whitewashing 100%. our history and our history it, is being written by white men. Yeah, making it sort of a minor transgression that everything's fine now. You know, and it wasn't as bad, and just when, using really well, awful. But a better language. strategy for that guy, if he didn't know the answer, if he had just gone looking for yeah, it, he would have uncovered that's the problem. A people, treasure trove of horrors. People requesting have... to be informed versus doing their own research is again i'm assuming he's a white guy but a very like yeah. white entitlement <laughs> like educate me please i'm dumb and i don't and i'm i have a computer and the internet but i'm not <laughs> going to use not it not only that i'm using it right now yeah. to type these words and it's too I, difficult for me to be like did we separate children from right. their parents during slavery please google, Dear google it <laughs> uh, yeah no that was bad I, I think i may have said this on the podcast some previous episode but at some point last year Oh, who's the name of the who's the name of the guy who invented the cotton gin? Eli Whitney. Eli Whitney. Uh, where somebody had posted <laughs> on Twitter and it was trending about how Eli Whitney was 
a white guy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I learned in school he was a black man. And I saw a lot of people posting, oh, I thought, I learned in school, I thought this was a black man. And it was always supposed to be like an ironic thing that a, a black man had invented the cotton gin, which perpetuated slavery in the way we're taught slavery in school. And all of my friends I went to high school with were like, oh, yeah, we, we were definitely taught yeah. that this was a black guy. And he's not. Like, he was a slave-owning white man in the South that was just, just taught wrong, just Because it was used wrong. as an example of, like, but see, like, look how much that benefited him. Like Slavery was slave, almost over until like, the cotton gin was invented. Yeah, and it's like, like, oh, no, 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 no. And, and, and But look at the money he made. Like, black people made money on slavery, too. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's bad people on both sides. I could, like, it just blew me away of, like, oh, yeah, I was taught the, the opposite of the truth. For and believed it to be true, and everyone I know did as well. Yeah, on on one of the groups that I'm a member of, which is entirely well, it's entirely middle-aged women, primarily white, but not entirely white. Sure. Um, one of them posted Sojourner Truth's uh, speech, anti woman. Hey, that's at our law school. Yes, we talked about this. That is, she never wrong. said that. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. We went through this, so I I tried very gently to say. She didn't actually make that speech that you just posted. Here's a website where's the probably the actual speech since this is the one that she dictated to her her friend like a month after. And this speech came 12 years later and was published by a white woman. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. How how did that go? Not great? (laughs) No, actually, it was fine. Oh, good. I, I, I didn't... I tend to rewrite things about 17 <laughs> times until I get it to where it's, it's innocuous, but also giving the information that is required. They don't deserve it, but good good on you. Well, she wasn't doing, she, you know, it's the problem with that particular copy, that particular speech or that particular, it's not a speech, that particular piece of writing, mm-hmm. which is definitely racist uh, because it changes the nature of the person who's speaking sure. away from her true nature. Yeah. Um, to something that was more palatable to the white people she was trying to convince. Happens a lot for black people in our history. <laughs> right. From the Yes. So, but the woman and all of the other people commenting on that speech were admiring it without knowing that context mm-hmm. of this isn't actually what she said. So let's take a look at what she actually said, which was what does that very mean? different. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which might but be a harder... I, I, what I was saying is that woman, as ignorant as she is, doesn't deserve as much care as you gave her. But good on you for doing it. But she it. was appreciative. Sure. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I, yeah. I think she did. She, she wasn't trying to do something wrong. Nobody does. <laughs> well, maybe some people. No, I mean, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised that she had a positive reaction to it. I yeah. could very easily see that going into, you know, like, why are you tearing down this message? And it's not really about... Well, one of, one of the comments that was after I posted that, <laughs> one of the comments that was a little disturbing is, well, I don't see why they changed her language. Yeah. It was perfectly fine the way that it was. And I, I didn't go back to that one and yeah. say, if you think about it, you know why. Yeah, I bet you can guess. Can you try <laughs> think a little harder as to why someone would take this one speech and turn it into this other speech in a completely different dialect. And why that new speech was widely publicized and that original, and original speech, speech didn't go anywhere. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So before we talk about this cocktail and get so depressed, uh, do you guys want to each plug something not depressing? I would like oh, to. Well, I plugged a... Sc- okay. Oh, uh... 
there's a new season of Queer Eye for the straight guys. Oh, yeah, there we go. I started watching that. I'm very excited. Oh, my gosh, I cry every episode, and it's yeah. so heartwarming. It's a good escape if you need an escape. Yep, except for that one episode with the cop. And also, you cry. But that <laughs> that's was, good. No, that's good. That one was good, too. So I watched the first episode of the new season last night. Uh, go, I haven't watched nearly any of the episodes because it's hard to get access to, but go watch Joe Parra Talks to You on oh, Adult yeah. Swim or wherever. It's so charming mm. and super funny. He's this, he is, he is a comedian. He is playing a character. It's, it's kind of following him in his life where he, I don't know how to describe it. He's the most pleasant, like Midwestern goofball. <laughs> um, the episode where he reads called Joe Parra reads the church announcements. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. We, sh- we, we should watch it. Have you seen the one with the pumpkin? No. We should watch that. The one where he watch reads the all, church announcement <laughs> to give some kind. He is reading the church announcement at his local church, um, but he gets sidetracked because he just heard the song Baba O'Reilly by The Who, and he's <laughs> never heard a song so good, and he never... And so it's just him describing how he heard this song, and he had to listen to it over and over mm-hmm. again, and he's calling every radio station to request it. And then he's trying to describe to other people, like, have you heard this song? It's like this really new, cool song. And they're like, yeah, we have. It's very, That's very cute. funny and very cute yep. and pleasant. If you're not, I, most people probably are not familiar with the show Samurai Gourmet. Which is oh, I think we've talked six, about it before. A six-episode yeah. uh, Japanese show about a guy who just goes somewhere and eats. Basically, a middle-aged Japanese man goes and, and eats something. And he's very self-conscious. Fantasies. And, and uh, sometimes he has a little bit of conflict and a samurai comes to help him. But Joe Para, the tone of Joe Para talks yeah. to is similar it's just when you and they're both about 15 minutes long too per episode Mm -hmm. and you just sit and you watch and you're just kind of soothed by it yeah um okay well i promise i'm trying not i'm I'm not paid by fx i promise i'm not trying (laughs) to like constantly plug their newest shows um but pose is yeah i've heard nothing but good things i've seen the first episode the second's on my dvr which is always full um, and the first one was very entertaining. So I don't know if the whole series is going to hold up, but yeah. I don't think it matters. I think what matters about the show is that the leads are played by trans women. Um, they're is about... Jeffrey Tambor in this show no. in any way? It's, okay. about, it's about trans women and it's played by the actresses are trans women. They're not, they're not all trans women. They're No, but the ones who are playing trans women yeah, yeah. are... Everybody is portrayed by a person by of them. the gender that they're portraying. Correct. <laughs> and and it's very racially diverse as well. And That's it takes great. place in the 80s, so there's a lot of 80s style. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and it's about the whole queer movement and yeah. things and like one that. One unfortunate thing, one of the characters works at Trump Tower for Donald it's Trump. It's James Vanderbeek. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the no, and the other character as well. The there's a younger man who just starts Oh, yes, yes. Who's I always forget his <laughs> name. He's great. He's from American Horror Story. Um, and this show is created by the same creator, Ryan Murphy, as Glee, and American mm. Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, James Vanderbeek is great in it. I love James Vanderbeek. Yeah, Beek. if you've never seen "Don't Trust the Bee" in Apartment Twenty Three, it is one of my favorite shows that got canceled. It's, it's on Netflix. The episodes are always aired in the wrong order, so Google what order <laughs> to watch them in first. That's great. Um, but yeah, so anyway, Pose I think is just an important show in terms of giving access to women who might not actually ever get to play a role that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, so just support it for that reason. It's about the... It's about how the it? drag the, the movement yes, <laughs> um, sort of embraced uh, queer women. And so... And they men. Have, they have these... Co- their whole community is centered around these competitions where they have a theme. They have a pose-off. dressed up and they pose <laughs> off. Oh, great. It's very like Vogue, you know, where Madonna Pre-Vogue. sort of... 
she co-opted that yeah. <laughs> movement. From. That sounds great. Um, so that's great. And then um, can, it, can you stream it somewhere? Probably. It I think FX has a Amazon. You can buy it. I think FX has a streaming. Okay. Platform. I'll poke around. Online. Yeah. Um, and then I'm super into true crime recently. So I've been watching the documentaries on Netflix. I watched Evil Genius, which was super good. I really That's the that story the about one. the bank robbery of the, the pizza guy who had a bomb strapped to him and was told, yeah. go rob this bank for us. Um, and then I just started The Staircase. Oh, I haven't heard of that one Which is the uh, Robert Peterson author who was accused of killing his wife by pushing her down a staircase. And oh. he says she fell and... Did you watch Wild Wild Country already? Yes. <laughs> Were you watching Killing Eve? I am watching Killing Eve. Okay. So. I heard on it must have been a podcast I was listening to. We just started watching it. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but I have reason to believe the last couple of episodes might not be based on something oh, someone no. said. I'm a few episodes behind. Oh. And I, I believe my mom has not watched the Jinx in any way, but also, you have watched yeah. the Jinx. Okay, great. All right, so there's some TV things and other stuff you could just watch some stuff to. that give you a little boost. Some Sometimes you need that. Be, some of those things will give you an escape, and others will just depress you, push you further down into the mire yeah, that we find not, ourselves living in. I'm not listing the depressing books I'm reading right now. <laughs> Uh, Other uppers, this cocktail. <laughs> Yay, an award-winning cocktail. It is an yeah. award-winning cocktail. So let me tell you why this cocktail exists. <laughs> so I was doing, I was researching the movies and trying to come up with some kind of inspiration. And I suddenly thought, well, I'm going to make a drink. I'm going to make The Contender. I'm going to make a drink that is The Contender. So how can I do that? I wonder mm-hmm. if there's like some cocktail contest somewhere that i could enter it and then this and drink would be the contender <laughs> if it's confirmed um and so I, I found one it was for uncle val's botanical gin and it was called the it's hashtag shake up the classics and if you look up hashtag shake up the classics on facebook or twitter or instagram, instagram you should find it mm-hmm. um it started like sometime in may and it ended on June 6th, I believe, was the last time you could enter a cocktail into it. So the concept was you have to take a classic cocktail and sort of, you know. And Uncle Val's it, it up. Uncle, use Uncle Val's gin. It has to be a gin cocktail, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, do a twist on it. So one of my grandmother's favorite drinks, is, this this could be a faulty memory because <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother died quite a long time ago. Which but which side of your family? my mother's mother? Okay. Um, for some for some reason, I have it in my head that it the French seventy five was one of her favorite drinks. French seventy five is made with champagne, a little lemon juice, and gin, and so I that was the one I decided mm. to do a twist on. I also found out that um, as far as iconic movie cocktails go, apparently they drink French seventy fives in Casablanca. So there's oh, a scene where Rick and well, they're at a bar for a lot of it. Ingrid Bergman's character, uh, where they drink French 75s. So I came up with this cocktail and I entered it. It is a lemon ginger 75. So it has a little lemon ginger simple syrup in it, which I made. And it has a little dollop of grenadine, except it's not really grenadine because it's made with sour cherry juice. Actual grenadine is made with pomegranate juice. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it should win an award. <laughs> and some lemon bit, uh, black lemon bitters and uncle val's gin and Mm -hmm. uh prosecco i just like prosecco right now so i use prosecco instead of champagne Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and it won. And, that's it. and I won the contest. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't just the con- it wasn't just the contender; it was the winner of yeah. the contest. You're like Laney, Senator Laney. Yes, I won. <laughs> You're the vice president now. It's the vice president's <laughs> drink. You win. Well, and your mom likes gin too. It's a gin family. My mom used to like grasshoppers, which are not good. I mean, that's, that's like creme and, you know, some kind of creme But she always has gin at her house. That's like the one alcohol. Yeah, but she doesn't around. drink alcohol really. She drinks wine. She yeah. doesn't really drink hard alcohol anymore unless I'm there and I make a cocktail. <laughs> and then she'll have some. And then she'll have some. Yeah, that's right. All right. That's good. Yeah. What are we going to watch next time? We had some discussion about this. Yes. We're going to watch two mo- We're still in the 60s. It's our last movies from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, let me... I have to click a button because I can never remember the second movie's name. It has Robert Redford in it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Captain America guy. Civil War. No, Captain America Winter Soldier. No, not that one. Uh, Three Days of the Condor. Well, I'm just going to start plugging some Robert Redford movies. Then. Yeah, what's your favorite Robert Redford movie? <laughs> uh, sneakers. Oh, that movie's really good. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, Forgot about is. sneakers. <laughs> Should have listened to that one. The 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 theme for next time is sort of like the responsibility of journalists, you know, journalistic oh, hey. responsibility. Great. Um, one of the things that we're gonna watch the one from the current time. It's from 2012, and it's called The Company You Keep. And I my understanding of what I've read about it so far is that it's kind of about one of those people who went into hiding because they were, they did some stuff in the 70s, and then they had to go into hiding, and a journalist finds this man okay it's almost just like sneakers <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> so robert redford is like the guy from the old you know that that has been in hiding for mm, okay. decades and then Ooh, i think it's like shia labeouf maybe oh. the other actor i can confirm that <laughs> interesting cool, 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 cool. Oh, i can't confirm when's it, this so. movie from 2012 oh okay so probably. before he when changed his lifestyle became a I don't know. publicly at least yeah before became he became a, performance a guy artist let's say yeah. Um, yeah, and the other movie is from, I think, 1969. She's looking yeah. right now. So it the events of the other movie, which is called Medium Cool, take place during the 1968 Democratic Convention, mm-hmm. during which there were real-life riots that broke out. <coughs> Interesting. Uh, okay. People protesting the Vietnam War. Um, and it was, it was, I was reading about it recently, the riots broke out, and then it was basically what they describe as a, a police riot, where the police basically just beat people in front hmm. of cameras. And so it was broadcast live, because the Democratic Convention <laughs> was going on. Yeah. Um, so the events of this movie, which is a fiction, take place during that convention. And actually, some of the f- scenes were filmed or are taken directly from it. Interesting. Well, that sounds cool. That sounds uplifting. Medium cool. <laughs> Medium cool. <laughs> and it's got Robert Forrester in it. Ooh, I like that's the older movie, and I don't. To, I, that doesn't ring any bells for me. So the guy from Jackie Brown, <laughs> who's not Jackie Brown, <laughs> and he's not Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Max Cherry from Jackie Brown. <laughs> All right, and uh, maybe we'll have a guest. Maybe we'll see. I got a couple. I actually have a couple people in mind I could ask. We'll see. We can always have Dad. He's got journalistic integrity. <laughs> That's true. Does he have journalistic integrity? He well, did. That's funny. <laughs> Actually, he did have journalistic integrity. In fact, when he left his job at the newspaper, newspaper uh, where he worked on the daily, mm-hmm. they were sad because he did a good job. Because he was, he was good, good at reporter. his job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Good work, Dad. It's almost mm-hmm. Father's Day, so you get this <laughs> shout out. 
All right. I'm All right. done for today. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next time. I hope our country's better. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Heart of mine, let another heart be part of mine. Let another's dream be the dream I'll follow. If our country is someday better, these podcast episodes will be very interesting yeah. to listen to.